Hello, and welcome to episode Christmas 3 <laughs> of the Crate and Crowbar. That's right, we've forgotten what episode number this is. And this setup is so complicated that I can't be bothered to find a computer to check. Well, I, could have, I, I was hoping that we would just turn around and be like, oh, hello. Oh, I see, we've missed that. Would you like me to start again? No. Okay. No. Uh, it's the 21st, yep. yes. yes, definitely, of December uh, my name is Chris Thurston, and today I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Philip War. Hello. Tom waved then, which is something you'll have enjoyed if you're watching the YouTube version of this episode, because as we always do at the end of the year, and I say we always do, we've done it three times now, uh, we're recording this using a video camera in order to project our images and moving mouths That's into your eyes. That's a fact I forgot when I came here. <laughs> yeah, I did. We're recording so been... this a little later than expected uh, because uh, we didn't have a camera the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> been a fun little field trip to my house where I just came from. <laughs> uh, we're also enjoying um, some old fashions, mm-hmm. which are very strong. These so are orange that. caramel old fashions. What's the recipe, Tom? It's whiskey, orange mm. bitters, and caramel syrup. You can taste all of those ingredients mm-hmm. and appreciate all of them. Uh, we also have some uh, pralines. Yes, from Valve. Valve Thanks, Valve. Ones. They're actually from Maison du Chocolat, not Hotel Chocolat. It's from the, the chocolate house you live in, not the chocolate mm. house you visit for a dirty weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have pralines there. Um, and, Whereas uh, I've staged like a little breakaway fort of alternative beverages and things <laughs> over mm. here. Uh, <laughs> You would genuinely be rather watching Poirot as well, so that's a perfect mug. <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you hate pralines, don't you, Pip? Yes. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Happy Christmas. So, uh, <laughs> Bear that in mind, Valve, <laughs> when you send things to your friends. I didn't know that, and I also didn't know they were all pralines, <laughs> in my defence. So on this episode, also we should apologise for the absence of, of Tom Senior. Um he uh, vanished in the in the time it took for Tom to return to his house to get the microphone. Uh, the, that's not the camera. That's not that's not the case at all. Unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't sync up everybody's timelines, um, which I realised makes it sound like he faded away, like a memory in a Back to the Future <laughs> photo. None of those things are true. He's just extremely busy. Or an Assassin's Creed Animus type situation. Yes, we didn't do what Tom Senior really would have done, and so therefore we've, we've desynchronised with it. We've desynchronised uh, Tom Senior, but he has sent us his Game of the Year selections and at least one special treat. So you will have the spirit of Senior. In addition to the, the practical reality of Francis. Um, on this episode, we will be, as ever, discussing our games of 2017. I say as ever, I mean, we've only done it for 2017 once today, now. But um, you know what I mean. Yep. You know what I mean. So we're going to go through games that, uh, you know, meant something to us this year, that we enjoyed the most. And at the end of this episode, we will pick each our game of the year for 2017. That'll be a surprise. It will be. No, I mean, for me, because I hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll pick one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Yes. Deadline plus the necessity to complete a list. Mm. So why don't we get straight in there? Has, Has it, it been a good year? Oh, yeah, it's a good way to start. Mm. Has it been? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so in, many in games, ways. In games, in games. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> We, I feel like we, every year we say, my God, what an amazing, incredible year. And mm. this year, I actually don't feel that way entirely. Mm. It was, this is the first year it's been hard for me to pick one that I really thought, yes, absolutely. Um, like everything that I've loved this year, I've loved with a few caveats at least. Mm. I just realized I left something off my list and just discreetly added it to the <laughs> top of my list. 
So I don't think it's discreet when you tell everybody. <laughs> well, I appreciate that I'd done something purely visual and I wanted to make sure that people listening to this on their commute or jog had the opportunity to experience me surreptitiously picking up a pencil. But surely then we need to just audio describe everything we do. <laughs> Tom takes a sip. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, he did. Um, Verified. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, maybe I, maybe I agree with you. I think, so I, I actually, I know in advance that I'm going to struggle to pick a single game from this year. It feels like it was lacking a standout hit. That's, mm. I think that's the conversation that I've had with a lot of people. Like there's been a lot of sort of very good games, but I don't think I've really picked out much that's been excellent. You mm. know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think there have been some, some incredible games, but I think it's, there's not necessarily been that one that everybody played and is talking about and kind of like sits on top of the year as a definitive thing, like a Dishonored 2 was for us last year or something yeah. like that. Um, but we'll definitely get, get there. I would say it might be interesting to start with the game I just added to the top of the list because I headed to the top of the list, <laughs> but I would say it is one of the games that has stood out to me as being one of the best, most impressive games of the year, which is Divinity Original Sin 2. So impressive that you only remembered it in the last two minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's an unforgettable game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and the reason I forgot is because uh, I'm an idiot, which is not to be held against Larian or their excellent <laughs> computer RPG. In fact, it might have already been somewhere else on this list and I just couldn't read my own writing. <laughs> so in any way, it's not their fault is what I'm getting at. But that does feel like I know PC Gamer gave it that game of the year. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, you did. I haven't played it. <laughs> <laughs> but that definitely felt to me like a sort of um oh wow games this kind of inventive and funny and kind of uh uh forward thinking particularly within the confines of a traditional genre in this case the old school rpg um don't come along very often like we talk a lot about sort of games bringing older or experiences that were nostalgic for back like even immersive sims coming back from their kind of decade hiatus or whatever um and it's nice when those get when those things happen and then it's better than it was before. Hmm. Right. I think that was probably why Dishonored and New Deus Ex was so, such a big deal was it wasn't just, Oh, we've got them back. It was, and there's, it's, and more stuff is being done with them. Yeah. And Divinity is very much that. It's, it's, you know, comedy Baldur's Gate with uh, a kind of incredible attention to player freedom and interesting systems and, and fun and the ability to tinker and break things that strongly resembles Dungeons and Dragons in a way that you will certainly relate to when you listen to the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> uh, Christmas special, which is going to be launching today. If you're watching this today, we, we launch this. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I'm, I feel a bit embarrassed. I forgot to put it on the list, particularly given that one of my other games of the year is also a traditional CRPG, which is very closely competing with this for my game of the year. Uh, but yeah. I, I had a really good time with it, and then I didn't get very far. I, I'm still... I think I'm just about to leave, like, the slums outside Fort Joy mm. and I it was on my list of like oh I should go back to that and I did go back to it I was like I made the effort um, and played for like 50 minutes and got a bit further and um, I had fun and then at the end of it I walked into like one of those shrieker things mm. uh, which just do like lightning attacks you and, and like stealth yeah. works differently with them and there's a bunch of rule exceptions and they're a little bit bullshit and if you blunder into them and you don't know what you're doing um, it's actually, I find it very clunky and difficult. I'm playing on gamepad as well. Um, mm. it's difficult for me to switch to each character individually and tell them all to get out of the way. Like they're all, right, yeah. they're all in different, um, groupings and stuff. 
and so I lost nearly everyone to this. And so <laughs> it's basically game over. Uh, but which is fine and um, uh, not a huge deal, except that it hadn't auto saved at all, Ooh. and I had not quick saved at all. So I lost literally fifty minutes of play. And now right. I think I'm probably never going to go back to it. Because yeah, of that. I I've got to the end of that first island, and I have a terrible big town anxiety now. <laughs> Which is sort of the op- maybe the opposite of like leaving Big Town. It's almost as difficult as arriving in Big Town because it's like <laughs> being told that you're leaving Big Town forever. It's it's difficult. Like you kind of really really want to make sure. So I've actually gone back to the town that to Fort Joy at the start and basically killed almost everybody <laughs> just for the hell of it. Well, no, there is a sort of I, I definitely like picked sides in that initial conflict. In a way, well, not killed everybody. Killed everybody who isn't who's a magister, basically. Right. And so I went back to do some things, and then because of other things that I've done, namely taking my collar off, they all aggro me on site. Right. And then it was like, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. And then it was like, I guess I thought this was going back into mop up side quests. What it actually is is like <laughs> the siege of Fort Joy, which is the actual <laughs> ending to this section for me now, um, where I've run from room to room throughout that entire castle, slaughtered everybody. I think now I'm mopped up every piece of plot but now i'm returning to the npc that sends you off to the next area of the game and it does feel a little bit strange to be going back like so what you know i've got some business to to finish (laughs) up before we move on then spend three hours killing everyone in a robe before returning to uh to the the next stage of the game but yeah i think um that jankiness that kind of like inability to kind of exactly execute your desires in the situation like that is sort of symptomatic of what's been done to ensure that you have got loads of granular control over what happens. There are definitely some things that annoy me. Like um, it annoys me when you like half your party gets into combat and the other half doesn't because they're slightly behind mm-hmm. or they've gotten like distracted by a big door. And so you have to then work out, you have to notice that they're not in the initiative order and then click on them and then get them to run to catch up and then they kind of finally yeah. join in. And I had that with an NPC where the NPC wasn't technically in combat and I right. don't control him so I can't make him come into the combat and he's like supposed to be helping you. It's like a, a you know, a, a part of a quest where he's fighting alongside you but he just didn't technically register as being part of the fight so he never did anything. Hmm. I feel like these are, these are all compelling reasons why I forgot Divinity <laughs> in the first place. Uh, <laughs> Pip, may I have the list? Thank you. You made some additions. No, I, one addition and one change. Okay. But that's I actually good. thought you were crossing games out. <laughs> no, fuck this. I was going to go through and like, take out all the ones that I'm fed up with talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. Just, just, just crossing out no. Divinity. <laughs> but on balance, and maybe to end on a positive note for Divinity, like I, it's no game has made me go like, oh shit, why has no one ever done that before? Like with companions that can also be you. Like yeah. the ability to just keep playing as a character you're not like having actual consequences for who chooses to talk to an NPC based on people's actual motivations, all that stuff. Um, simply based on the, the kind of systemic things that everybody realizes like, Oh, blood conducts electricity and, and that kind of stuff. It's great. We should move on to the next game on the list. Cause it's a long list, uh, which I'm going to pick the one that Pip added to the top of the list in all caps. Yay. And it is. Tell us about the Norwood suite. Yes. Well, I'm still only partway through because I keep going back to sort of nibble at it um, because it's just really rich and, like, interesting to explore. Mm. And so I'll sort of snack on it. But also, um, it, so what it is is you're exploring a kind of collage m- mansion, which is now a hotel. Um, it's like this surreal mix of all these things that's threaded together around 
this musician who used to live there who went missing in 1983. And, mm. um, so you're sort of, you've got some point and click style quests that you fulfill, but there's also just a lot of, you know, just, uh, puzzles in, in, in terms of just figuring out the environments, you know, sort of like enjoying how they work or what mm. they do or, you know, just all of the different layers of decoration or weirdness or, you know, whatever else. Like when you first go up to the hotel, you go up a hillside, a, a hilly road incline thing. You go past like all of these rock faces, you know, like um, Mount Rushmore, but, you know, uh, it's sort of, you know past you on the left hand side I think and then you go through a tunnel that just happens to have a turtle swimming through it you know just sort of alongside you and you know there's all these like weird hidden bits of the of the hotel and you know you find you know odd things in odd places and the people are strange and there's like a I think there's like an energy drink convention happening (laughs) and you know it's like it's it's weird and it's fantastical. And like I say, I still haven't finished it just because, well, partly I get motion sick when I play it for too long. Cause like, there's so much to like look at and I get headachey and it, it feels like when I've been in a car trying to read. Mm. Um, but mm. you know, the, the sort of the, the amount of reward that I get for just the little bits of time that I do spend in there is just really cool. Mm-hmm. I heard that the drawers are all full of weird shit. There's weird shit in the drawers, but the drawers themselves can be just really interesting as well. Uh, I, like, I don't want to give... <laughs> don't a, spoil the drawers. Well, yeah, basically. Because, yeah, they're kind of responsible for one of the only laugh-out-loud moments I've had in games this year. It was wow. like, oh, wow, that was cool. I was in the office at the time, so that was good. Um, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people... I haven't, I haven't played it yet, but I really like to, because I like the idea that there's... There's been a lot of good sort of exploring games. Mm. That's what I like to think of in those terms, just sort of enjoying a space games. Like, if you aren't sure if you would like it, it's kind of an evolution of his previous game, Off Peak, mm. which I believe is available free of charge. So that's a thing that you can check out if you aren't sure whether you'll enjoy the Norwood suite. And I think it's worth doing anyway, because I really like that. Mm. Alice and I spent a lot of time poking around. Is that a game where you have to strategize your journey so that you're never traveling at peak time? <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, oh, no, that would be awful. That would be boring. <laughs> it's real life. That's mm. just getting to London. Yeah, no, that's just <laughs> life. Um, <laughs> so, and they never tell you what peak time is. No. That information is really hard to find. <laughs> Well, you can gather it by when you can buy off-peak tickets, right? From the machines? Yeah. Like, you can work out what peak time yeah. is by when you're going to be charged an absolute fortune. We had a thing where it wouldn't offer an off- a super off-peak ticket, but it was super off-peak time. So we had to, like, uh, go somewhere else and, I think, like, talk to the booth person and... Like, yeah, what is way. peak time really <laughs> i mean really? you know if, if i want to travel so for me it's peak <laughs> but anyway mm. it's important just to, to stay on topic with this long list of games it is it's extremely honest again i wasn't going to move things along because i feel like this, there's real um, merit i would say if anyone's worried about the southwest trains uh peak time information there is actually quite a good website if you google um Bristol Bath peak times. They give you all the information you need. It's just it's all right there. It's um oh, why did this guy make this game in? It cuts off at like four thirty. Anyway, um 
Because he doesn't live in Bristol. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can't help you for any other route no. uh, or service. Uh, next on the list, I'm just going to jump up and down this list because why not? No one can stop me. Why aren't you crossing them off as we go? I am. Oh. I'm ticking them. Well, I, I, there's I, no tick next to the Norwood suite. Yes, there is. Yeah, there is. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Does the Do you not feel like it's a big enough tick, Pip? That's not how I would have done it. <laughs> how would you have done it, Pip? That's for sure. So that people elsewhere on the table could see. Okay. <laughs> there you Thanks. Go. Great. For the listeners, Chris has done a passive-aggressively huge tick through yeah. the Norwood suite. Yeah. All right, fine. Uh, yeah. Now I'm crossing... Congratulations, developers of games we've selected for inclusion in our Game of the Year list. <laughs> uh, you're being crossed out as we go. Yeah. Next. I should probably point out that I can't actually read any of the titles from here, so all I'm seeing is big ticks now. <laughs> Good. Next in the list, you better believe it's Dishonored 2, Death of the Outsider. Hmm. Hmm. Is on your <laughs> list, Tom, and mine. Yeah. Um, Which is predictable. For me, I think this year, like, I've... Uh, almost everything on my list is kind of there because... I appreciate some chunk of it. Mm. And for Death of the Outsider, it's definitely like missions two, three, and maybe four, depending yeah, on what yeah. that was. It was um, a year of appreciable chunks. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> that's that's how it'll go down in history, for sure. <laughs> uh, so in particular, in Death of the Outsider, the, uh, like before you get your powers, there isn't enough going on mechanically for me. And then mm. once you do get your powers, there's a sweet spot of like two or three missions, including the bank job, um, where you have uh, like a big... Uh, complex hub to explore lots of um uh spaces to find secrets in and uh, and all that stuff but they've added this kind of contract system where there's um basically side quests but also um side quests that you can do alongside your actual quest so mm. with the bank job one of them is to do it without hurting anybody um mm. uh, and on, on the first mission there's one of like while you're there there's going to be this dog can you kill this dog and burn it please <laughs> um <laughs> They phrase it more in flavour, I would say, in the writing. Yeah, the uh, writing is not quite... Yeah, it's better than that. <laughs> Tom F's functional dialogue system. <laughs> Look, I don't make these story-driven Do games. burn a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Do burn a dog. It, Do burn that, a dog. That system was really cool. It did slightly spoil the... Um, uh, another mission in which the optional objective is to kill everybody mm. because uh, there's also a mechanic where you can steal people's disguises which is really cool and I was doing that a lot mm. but to do that you need to leave them alive and once they're unconscious the difference between an unconscious body and a dead body is hard to tell at a distance and so I had this huge building full of like 200 people like 170 of which would be dead and the other 30 would be alive but sleeping <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't it won't tell you where they are it won't tell you how many you got left it'll just tell you you haven't killed everyone yet you haven't killed everyone yet. So I was rushing around this building, like, cutting people's legs off. <laughs> I think that one's dead now. I think that one's dead now. And that was no fun at all. The silent killer. And I'd gone far enough with it. Like, I committed enough that I couldn't back out. I had to, like, I've killed 170 of them. I can't not kill the last 30. In, in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, so that contract system wasn't a complete success, but it mm. did. Um, I think I, I preferred it when it was a side objective rather than a playstyle requirement mm. because the playstyle requirements are kind of extreme and things like um uh on the bank job when you're not supposed to hurt anyone if you hack like a wall of light or something mm. even if like a robot runs into it that fails your don't hurt anyone objective um enough in robot robots aren't people <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought but um i can't i think the objective is not about like mercy to humans it's about uh leaving no evidence that this happened or something mm. um Mm. But stealth. I'm, I'm quite good. <laughs> <laughs> stealth. 
Stealth, innit? <laughs> Tom, did you see what Pip did as you were explaining? And you're making some very good points about this time, Death the Outsider. See that praline? Yep. See, it's in half now. <laughs> destroyed one of the pregnancies. Are you examining it? Yeah, I checked it and then I put it back and you didn't notice that you were talking about stealth. I like, see. That's yep. the real stealth. I thought you were just being like an old timey spy where in order to tell the story about stealth, you sit back and go, yep, stealth. I <laughs> know <laughs> that business. Yeah. We've all been really there. Pleased, like, I finally discovered how to stealth. <laughs> I was you, watching I, you the entire time. Did you break it with your hands or did you cut it with the pencil? With my hands. Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's good. Still praline. Uh, so, or, yes, um, I think for me, like Death of the Outsider was successful because of, like, I really love new powers and the new gadgets. Like the, uh, and I see, like, I liked almost everything about it, I think, but the, the opportunity to play with, like, the non-lethal Huckmine. Huckmine? Am I right about that? <laughs> uh, is it a Huckmine? It is a Huckmine, right? I just oh, think Huck in a white way. I thought like, you said Huckmine. Hug like, I'm pretty sure it's not Huckmine. I can't remember what it is, but. <laughs> They're not, but you said it's hug or kill. <laughs> yeah, usually. Or marry. Um, <laughs> in the third setting. Um, that's when two people get stuck together forever. Um, wow. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so I've completely lost track of what we were talking about because of the praline thing. It's um, a good expansion. To a <laughs> it's good. Well, standalone. Stealth. Expa- um, it's a good expandalone to a good game alone. Yep. I like, I enjoyed, I enjoyed how many problems taking people's faces and walking around created. And I like that they did it anyway. Yeah. I, I definitely had a good run where like I had a, a rune that replenished my mana if I killed someone whilst in semblance mode. Mm. So you disguise as somebody and then, uh, mana only drains when you walk. Uh, so you can stay still for as long as you like in disguise and no guards will attack you. And then when you do move, it replenishes your mana, depletes your mana. Um, but then as long as you're going to kill someone, you'll replenish it. But killing someone prevents you from taking their disguise. So you mm. can't get a new disguise. So if you're gonna, if your disguise is gonna be broken or you're gonna run out of mana, you need at least one person alive to, to do that. To so top up the old like, face counter. Yeah. <laughs> so that created an interesting minigame. Face steal and then kill them. Yeah. Right, fine. But I don't think you get mana for that. It has to be like a, I don't think you can just stab the body. <laughs> 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 well, there speaks a man who hasn't tried that. Indeed, it's a good suggestion. I, I stabbed like 170 bodies on that other mission. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> but I don't think that replenishes your mana. You weren't dressed as any of them, I suppose. Uh, I think I was, sometimes. Oh. <laughs> That's a big old tick for Dishonored 2 Death of the Outsider. Next on the list, I want to talk about two games th- at the same time. Using, and this is when my head splits in half to reveal a second set of, uh, talking equipment uh mouth, <laughs> mouth. <laughs> this is really strong this is really strong i only had half of one um so I, I didn't even it didn't even occur to me until i went back through the list of games that actually did come out this year how much time i spent with both for honor and absolver which i'm going to uh lump in together as third person competitive melee action games each equally lightly doomed despite very good intentions of the year. Is that over this year? Yeah, it came out in August. It was for honour this year? Yeah, it came out in February. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the more you know. It's been a long ass year. That's been a long ass year. Are there games though? Are there games? Mm. Uh, <laughs> Just want to check good, all the credentials of I mean, games of the year. I mean, I guess if we really want to get deep into that, then 
that we can go while we just all the way into the weeds. Uh, I would say yes, they are games um, because they each have uh, collectible hats. <laughs> okay, that's so my cats. It checks out cats. <laughs> what? Oh god. <laughs> I mean, that's not really a criterion, is it? Because you could just collect hats. You could, yeah. <laughs> what we're learning, Pip, is that anything is a video game. Carry on. Okay, I will. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I wanted to give him a mention because I really appreciated that there were two kind of really different kinds of multiplayer games. I really loved uh, both of their combat systems. For Honor, uh, suffered for um, some pretty bad balance issues and bugs and instability and and wonky patches wonky patches i don't know what i'm talking about it had uh, some issues retaining its player base and i hopefully people are still playing it i haven't been back which is a bad sign um hi <laughs> <laughs> <I>, chris <laughs> the arbiter of Look, i have established over the last couple of weeks that i have medium opinions about most <laughs> things and i just wanted to highlight these as kind of like they were okay <laughs> of the year um that's why i'm doing them both at once because i didn't want you to drag you through this twice um but yeah and Absolver I think has a gorgeous art style and I really love what it actually what it set out to do and I think what it achieves the first time you play through it where you play through this kind of like dark soulsy minimalist martial arts mini adventure um which packs a lot of that sense of exploration and kind of uh PvP that springs from nowhere by which I mean a man that jumps out of nowhere and punches you in the head um into a kind of short uh exploration of this environment I think after that point the kind of the kind of grindy kind of unlocking everything aspect of it uh, isn't as fun, but I had a really nice little ride with it. And there, there was such, um, both of them so, so much at my alley, but also specifically, like, it, I really appreciate that this year we had a few meaningful experimentations on doing third person internet mouse and keyboard melee combat, because that's something that I, uh, miss from the Jedi Academy days. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'm glad that they came back. That's basically all I have to say about it. I, well, I'm glad they came back. I hope they're still here. <laughs> I will have to check. It's a big old tick from me. Tick through both. Yeah, one tick. Two games. Efficient. Mm. Mm. Pip. Hello. Tell us about Rogue Islands. Interesting. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is that game that i got really into in the summer where it was a roguelike like Mm. and it was a sort of minecrafty aesthetic and you'd spawn an island that you would then explore and you'd be able to mine particular things to then unlock extra Mm. magic spells and kill things more efficiently and mine things more efficiently and you'd essentially just be sort of getting through to a final boss each time Mm. um and i think it's so i it's not exactly the sort of thing that elevated itself i think if you it's it's one of those things that caught me at the exact right moment so i got really into it in a way Mm. that i wasn't expecting and that's why i wanted to sort of give it props because objectively there isn't objectively but um in terms of you know if you take a broader view it isn't the best thing in its genre really and i think a lot of people will sort of bounce off it or not not hit it at the right moment to make it sort of a special thing or Mm. a a thing that they want to relax into but (laughs) bless you 
Thank you. But um, but it, it it was for me, and mm. I didn't really know how we were doing Game of the Year stuff criteria <laughs> this year, so I, no, I mean, thought honestly, I would say that. <laughs> honestly, God, I think this. I mean, I've just said this. Like, I think this. I mean, with my my picks, like this has been a year of sort of like sort of fixations with games that I know aren't perfect for me. Like getting, or as Tom says, getting something out of a chunk of a game, but not necessarily out of the whole. I found it to be one of those really satisfying middle tier games, you mm. know? Mm. That's just, it's really cozy. One know? of them comforting sevens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I would say so. And like, that's not in a dismissive way or, or a shady way. That's a kind of, I really love stuff like that sometimes, you know? Mm. It's what you, what you want. Yeah. Mm. That might be a good time for us to, to call upon the services of the King of the Comforting Seven. Mm. One of Tom Senior's picks ah. that overlaps with one of our others. And uh, he obviously sent his apologies for not being able to make it. And he also sent us a poem about Aww. this particular game. So <laughs> I'm going to read to you a very special Christmas poem about one of Tom Senior's picks. But I think it was also one of yours, mm-hmm. Tom Francis. A, a full Tom Convergence on this beautiful Christmas afternoon. We should stress, it's four in the afternoon. (laughs) It's going to be very obvious what this is as soon as I start reading. T'was a quiet night in Tristram. Old Deckard was snoring. Diablo was dormant. And all seemed quite... Oh, I get it now. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Real poets now doing this shit. Exegesis correspondent Philippa Wall. <laughs> no, it's just you said that I'd get it as soon as you started reading it, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start again. Please. Twas a quiet night in Tristram. Old Deckard was snoring. Diablo was dormant and all seemed quite boring. When all of a sudden, a show of violence most frantic, a hero appears who smells quite necromantic. His curses erode and will of his foe, the, his curses erode the will of his foes and eventually their corpses explode. <laughs> a little play with meter there. Mm. Hordes of undead burst onto the scene as he bone spikes demons from here to Kazim. They all rise again quite out of their element. It is cause for sadness, but hurrah for skeleton. <laughs> Appreciate you giving up there, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Many of his actions are surely a crime, but he'll steal all of your blood before he does time. (laughs) The citizens of the world shall finally be free once he's finished his rampage in Diablo 3. And then he specifies, ooh! (laughs) He said werewolf noise. I don't know if a wolf noise, I don't know what werewolf noise is other than like, oi! Ooh! A little bit of man, a little bit of wolf. Um... Good. Thank you, Tom Senior, for this. Uh, I, that is that the extent. was very good. It was very good. Mm. Um, I haven't played Diablo 3 Rise of the Necromancer. Yes, Rise of the Necromancer. I've made a problem, a mistake in these notes in that I've, whenever something's had a something of the something, uh, subtitle, I've just written the acronym. So it really could have been Return of the Necromancer. Mm. It could have been, um, Robert of the Necromancer. <laughs> Any of any of the above, but it is, I think, Rise of the Necromancer. Tom, you've played it. it Save me. Romance of the Necromancer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, it's on my list as well. It's uh, it was really really good. Um, it is. It's a class pack for Diablo Three, which is a weird thing. So it's like not even really an expansion in the traditional sense. Mm. Uh, you just play through the existing campaign with a new class, but that new class is 
Uh, for me, that's what I want from Diablo. Like, I don't really care about if you added a new quest, I wouldn't mm. even notice that it was a new quest. Um, uh, it's all about the skills and how they, um, uh, work together and how satisfying they are. And Necromancer is by far the best class in the game for me. Um, mm. it was already an old favorite from Diablo and I was, um, so I was excited about it, but actually I think they did a way better job than, uh, than previously. And so corpse explosion is a thing. I think it says something that corpse explosion is not the highlight of this class, mm. which is amazing because that's mm. one of the best skills in action RPG history. Um, and you can do it in this and it's great, but there's also, um, uh, I think it's, is it corpse spike? Uh, the one where like all of the corpses near somebody all stab them with bone. bone spike. <laughs> bone spike. The there is, I think that might be different. I don't know. Mm. Uh, to be honest, there's a lot of overlap in Necromancer skills. <laughs> and, uh, I noticed about halfway through that the icon for every skill on my skill bar was a skull. <laughs> it's like, mm. this is three skulls in green flame. This is two skulls in blue flame. This <laughs> is one skull in red flame. <laughs> Um, yeah, that they like, I don't know if you know this about necromancers, but they like dead things. Um, mm. and they work with that. There was a really nice thing, uh, that happened with my skills in that game where, um, they actually almost had a kind of narrative arc to them where stuff, uh, early on, everything just costs you spirit or whatever your mana resources. Um, and that's fine. And every now and then you get like this, like certain room for this certain skill makes it a little bit better, but it costs you blood, like it costs you health. And you're like, oh, I don't want that. That's just going to hurt me. Um, and then as you kind of go up through the ranks, like they start to unlock more and more of the runes you unlock cost you health. They're more mm. and more like actually um, screwing with uh, your uh, survivability. And uh, you, they become better and better. Like they're more and more tempting. And you start to get to the point where like the, the payoff for doing this is worth it. And there are other ways of sort of healing yourself. Um, and so you feel kind of like it, it feels like this path to uh making a sort of deal with the devil type thing where you, you're you keep sacrificing more and more of your <laughs> your own uh body just to uh get more and more power uh which feels exactly like what a necromancer would be doing mm. as they gain more power right they would be uh, making more and more sacrifices and turning more and more to the kind of dangerous side of magic where they might just kill themselves by what they're doing and uh the <laughs> ultimate one of those is on the corpse explosion skill, there's a load of different runes, one of which is that, maybe it is bone spike, um, that stabs them. Um, and one is just the explosion. And then, uh, the one that costs you health on that, uh, I think I'm remembering this right, is, um, it turns the corpses into, like a corpse in Diablo is, um, the monster dies and there's like, there's this fleshy hunk left behind and that's a corpse and they all look Fleshy hunk. Yep. And then when you cast, <laughs> when you cast this blood rune version of Corpse Explosion on the, on the fleshy hunks, they, uh, just sprout insectoid legs and rush towards the nearest enemy and then blow up. So it's still Corpse wow. Explosion, but they just turn into like corpse Homing spiders, inside. like meat spiders. It's at, like, mm. the first time I cast it, I literally just went, <gasps> oh god, what have I done? And then I continued to use it for like three hours. <laughs> You're the good guy. Unleash the meat spider. Good. Tick. Mm. Ticked. I'd like to talk about... So I've just realised that all of my Game of the Year picks are like 7 out of 10 games, apart from a few of them. So I got that Divinity Original Sin out of the way ahead of time. Um, I also wanted to offer a note of appreciation for Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm. 
Indeed. <laughs> that was the most 7 out of 10, like, noise Sad. of ascent. Uh, a game that I think deserved, obviously, I th- oh, well, I've said on the podcast before, I think it deserved better than it got. Um, but that I genuinely did have a really great time with for all 80 hours. It took me to complete the single player wow. and really enjoyed the ending, really enjoyed the characters and their relationship with one another, really enjoyed kind of Dragon Age 2 style character writing where people feel like people and not just like sort of roaming problems that you have to resolve that are also your best friend. Um, yeah, really lovely little relationships and well-observed writing and acting, even when the face face acting wasn't playing up um, as part of a story that was hard to pull off, like something that genuinely feels like it kind of builds upon the Mass Effect mythos while doing its own thing. And it comes to a really great end sequence with lots of good getting the band back together, things exiting hyperspace type uh, situations, which is all I really want. Like anything, that first 80 hours is just like set up. Like I just want like a real big ramp up to that moment. And it does it. And uh, yeah, I felt like my choices were meaningful and it ends on a point where you're like, oh man, this is the start of a new trilogy. And then unfortunately, a few things are gifably bad about it. <laughs> and they do very well on social media and now the studio is gone. <laughs> so yeah. Sorry, I've really ruined Christmas there. Um, but that was my, personally, my broadly hated, but I think better than everyone thinks, uh, space adventure of the year. And I would certainly stand by that. And actually, I would think if it ends up in Christmas sales and Origin or anything else, it's definitely worth a go. Like, it is. There's loads to recommend it. And I really enjoyed my time with it. Does Origin have sales? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that wasn't, like, a shady thing. <laughs> no, it was no. just that, like... Because I've seen, I think, over Black Friday, The Sims packs got reduced a little mm. bit, but not... not I think they've done yeah. free games as well. Yeah, they have, like, a free game. They don't, every now and again. They don't do something on the scale of Steam. Uh, oh, but, yeah, yeah, they do do sales. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I think they made some, like, bullish statement once of, like, we're not going to do that really deep discount thing, and then they did. <laughs> Unless it turns out that it works good and make <laughs> money. It, oh, it makes nice. money? Okay, well, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're in. Um, Why did you not say? But no, like, because um, neither of you played Andromeda. I did. You did? Did you yep. finish it? No. Oh. Uh, I got to a really pretty planet uh, and had a million side quests. And uh, mm. I wasn't like, I didn't burn out on it exactly, but th- something kind of slowed down about my progress. And then- yeah, it does have the big town. It's been a bad <laughs> yeah. case of the big towns. I wanted to play it with you. I was reviewing it. You, this is before you took on the review. And I was like, why don't we play it together? And you were like, you won't play it right. <laughs> you're paraphrasing. Uh-huh. And am I wrong in, in that being your main opinion? <laughs> I have always found that BioRPGs are quite like a kind of, you know, a uh, personal thing. You get so immersed in them that I couldn't imagine couch playing them. That's true. I, I genuinely couldn't because I get kind of like into the story and I... I wasn't asking you to imagine it. I was asking you to do it. <laughs> Well, I am sorry. Uh, so I'll mark this down the list as a site of betrayal. <laughs> yes, but if you could just add that to the grudge. Yes, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, we haven't had grudges for a while, have we? No, well, so we have, we have, more's the pity. We'll have to do grudge of the year at the end of this, and I'll just mark down Mass Effect Andromeda. Chris's, gra- Chris's betrayal, I'll make that <laughs> clear. Um, um, then we can maybe cover that off at the end. But nonetheless, I liked it a lot. <laughs> I thought it was 84% good. That's why I gave it exactly... 84 points. Uh, Pip. Hello. That feels like a great springboard for you to talk about broadly hated space adventure No Man's Sky. <laughs> oh, uh, it's not anymore though, is it? Is it? 
I don't know. Yeah, I'd say the tide has turned a bit. Mm. Yeah. But no, every I mean, time I wrote I don't mean to. Himself, I don't mean yes, to lead you at all. But like, there's um, <laughs> you, you put it on your list, so I'm curious to find out. I what. did. Yes, and I will. Do, I would do it again. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone away with it too. If it wasn't you meddling kids. Well, it's because we exist in a climate where post-release updates and things and living games are a mm. thing. And I think that with that game specifically, they've actually done a good job in terms of you know, uh, post-launch trying to, like, figure out what that community wants and what is possible with their game and to build it up and to, you know, to just create more stuff mm. in a way that I think is more healthy than perhaps, like, having back and forths on Twitter or in, like, discussion threads and stuff. I think more transparency wouldn't go amiss, but... I. I do think that everything that they've added post-release has been at least interesting. Like it's had three, I think, big updates. Um, one was the foundation one, which sort of added the seeds of base building. And then it was like building up from that and adding vehicles mm. and the photo mode, which I still maintain is amazing. Um, and sort of toying with the economy and stuff like that. But like, and and that's mostly stuff that I'm not as interested in, but I still go back to it and I have uh, the photo mode thing is, uh, it is, I can spend three hours in that game and only have moved five feet mm. because I've been tinkering with pictures for a long time. Um, but I've also just found a planet that I'm happy to settle down on. So I spent a whole <laughs> bunch of time finding the, the building that you can make your home base from. And so I'm sort of starting out in that direction. I still wish that there was a way to turn off the story quest stuff because that isn't of interest to me because I play mm. it as a pottery explorer thing. And it still seems hell bent on forcing you through a certain amount of the quest and I do wish that there was a way to just sort of say I'll either do that or I won't but mm. stop putting that icon on my map or whatever right. but like it yeah everything that they have done post-release has actually been really cool to watch and I think it has actually changed the um certainly the feeling towards the studio in terms of when I write about it, it is no longer, they betrayed us massively. Everyone's a liar. <laughs> it's, um, there's a lot more of, I'm so glad that people are still working on this thing or that it seems to be more of like a dialogue, I guess, you know, in terms mm. of clearly the community is playing a particular way and that isn't what was talked about in the lead up to release. Cause I remember having a, bunch of conversations with hello games and sean murray about the idea being that you were a nomad and you shouldn't be able to put down roots and stuff and then obviously the first big thing that they do is add base building and it's like so that does feel like a studio that will respond and change things mm. even if like that's more in what they do than what they say right yeah yeah are you like uh gathering resources to make your base so yeah like i'm playing in normal mode i could have whacked it onto creative but i figured i didn't want to lose my planet so creative mode was added after a launch as well right yeah that was that's... i think in the foundation thing as well because you could play on super hard or like absolute yeah like creative you have all access to everything creative mode is what got me back into it like i wasn't I kind of bounced off it well i played it for a little bit at launch but um just a few hours and 
uh, once creative mode was added, I got back into it because I just didn't want to faff with inventory stuff. Like I didn't, I got sick of my inventory being full and not being able to pick up like harvest things yeah. I needed. And in creative mode, all resource costs are free basically. So you can just build anything. Um, and you still can gather resources, but you don't need them for anything. Um, I think it's- so that's when I got into like the base building stuff because I didn't need mm-hmm. any, uh, yeah. uh, anything to build these things. So I just, it was a purely creative exercise or a purely aesthetic exercise of like, I want a nice big circular thing with a big tower. And then at the top of the tower, it's going to have a corridor going out and leading to the other bit. And then I just build it and think, yeah, that looks nice. And then just fly off to another planet. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what got me interested in setting up a version of it, but I used it almost like a proof of concept. So I went down to just some random planet in creative mode built a sort of basic base, but then realised that there was nothing at stake for me there. So Mm. I did switch back to regular mode and then started to, you know, make little inroads into, you know, I've now got the the basic building and I've got like a little corridor and a small room on the end and I've got someone in the room that's (laughs) like now sending me on like little quests so that I can start to, to build out and have more facilities and stuff and ultimately this is as always building up to me getting a little hydroponics thing which is essentially a space greenhouse that i can tend mm. forever <laughs> um so that's what i'm doing with my life um, but yeah so it's kind of i i do find myself wishing that there was somewhere between um creative and normal or like that mm. that they could fix the feeling of like a really truncated inventory being such a problem yeah um so i think that's my big remaining gripe is that feeling of like you as a person who plays the game tend to be a lot further on than what it will let you do Mm. and it hasn't quite worked out how to to balance that. I was actually thinking about it this morning though, when I was playing animal crossing, because the thing with animal crossing is when you expand your house, you get the expansion and then you pay off the loan for that. So you actually get the payoff immediately rather than having to save up millions and millions Mm. of pounds and then find a spaceship that's like, you know, that, that you can swap for. So I was actually thinking it would be cool if, you know, you had a way of, you know, buying a, spaceship but having like almost a mortgage payment you know like car mm. car payments yeah yeah and you know that that might actually be good in terms of you feeling like you're making progress like you've actually got this long-term investment you know mm. and that you you're mm. able that's to really expand yeah yeah, before uh, yeah you that's a really good idea thing. actually because that is how like they get you yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it means that you're grinding to afford the next cool thing that you get instantly rather than to, to afford the thing that you've already grown, you know, out yeah, of. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That you need space debtors prison. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Dickensian workhouses of the moon. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Good. I think it's a big old tick. Yeah. For no man's sky. Mm-hmm. Or is it rapidly becoming some man's sky? Anyway, uh, <laughs> not all man's sky. Pardon? Not all man's sky. Yeah, I made that joke so many times, and mm. people are a bit like this one. Again. <laughs> That's always the response. Yeah. yeah, I'm and still, I'm still Rule trying of, to make it happen. Rule of comedy: just it's not going to be funny. It'll be funny a little bit the first time, a little bit the third time, and then it'll be funny the millionth time. But you yeah. just keep trucking until you get to that point. Yeah, you're probably on like seventeen, so you got away. You got away. 
Um, next on the list is a game that I think was on almost everybody's list, and maybe the only one that was on almost everybody's list. I think it wasn't on yours, Pip, but I think it could have been. It's What Remains of Edith oh, that Finch. that was on my list. You just didn't write it down because Sam, but uh, this man. Yes, no, <laughs> that's true. No, Tom. the reason I didn't write it down is because it was already on Three both letters. I mean, come on. <laughs> this man, Sam. <laughs> Matt. Matt. You could just always say Tom and you've got a reasonable chance of being right. That's very yeah, that's true. true. Um, in that case, it is the only game that was on all four of our lists this yeah. year. I think, does that make it our game of the year <laughs> by default? No, because there's space for a kind of contrary disaster to occur before we get to the end of this recording. <laughs> we Probably also yeah. don't really have, we never have an overall one, right? We just have our individual ones. Yeah, we pick individual ones. We could all pick the same one. But but yeah, no. Anyway, we were making we're too much of this. We're too drunk at the end of it to know whether we've nominated a game of yeah. the year. Though. That's true. Um, well, anyway, so maybe this during this point of relative sobriety, so we should Finch, say. Hey? Yeah, Edith Finch. <laughs> so, uh, a very impressive computer game. <laughs> I thought. That's what the critics are saying. At the time. I was really hoping to spring off into something there, but, you know, God knows. So, um, I loved Edith Finch because it... Um, it sort of plays with your, like your, it's, it's sort of interesting to find a, a exploration game or a, I hate the word walking simulator, but you know, kind of explore a space and be told a story type game where you're constantly being asked to do different things kind of meaningfully. Like not to say that you know, mechanical variety is the goal or the challenge is the goal, but you're always kind of uh, being asked to interact with it in a slightly different way. And that makes it continually kind of engaging in a way that not every game like this manages. Like I know that towards the end of, um, everybody's gone to the rapture. I was very bored of walking and listening to a sphere. <laughs> um, despite how much I was enjoying the story and the environment and everything else, like just the simple repetitive nature of the mechanics had gotten to, whereas Edith Finch, um, as it progresses is continually surprising, which is very hard for a game like this with its, you know, with any game with stripped back ambitions in terms of challenge to do. Yeah. It's like, it's completely focused on the story and isn't interested in challenge, but uh, it still goes to town on mechanics. It'll still be mm. like, before this story, we want you to transform into this, or the whole world is going to change into this, or yeah, we're yeah. going to change reality to work this way, mm. and you're going to play with that, and you don't have to be good at it or or overcome any uh, particular difficulty, but the, the world will work that way, and you, yeah. to, you can play around with it, and it will feed into the story in some way. And it's like, uh, you know, narrative games don't usually do that, and... Uh, maybe some of them, that's a very intentional choice, but I think probably a lot of them are looking at Edith Finch like, well, yeah, if we, if we had like the time to do that, of course we would. Mm. <laughs> like, we'd love to have a completely new mode of interaction for every story we ever told, but like, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> how do you like make this, a game? Apparently. I think yeah, it's they more just... impressive that they made it feel, um, like they were all part of the same thing. Cause I think mm. that you can definitely put together, you know, a showcase of stuff. But it might feel like, you know, like how Valve have the lab for VR, right? Mm. They're all very different experiences. They just happen to be accessible through a central portal, right? What remains of the lab? <laughs> well, exactly. But but with Edith Finch, they actually do feel like they gel together. It's more like a well-curated lit- literary anthology with different authors, but a mm. theme, right? Mm. And it's... But none of them are jarring, but they are all so different. And that's and really all, cool. The fact that they, the thing that unites them, um, is, uh, story-wise, that they're all about a death, right? You know, that going in, that they're all, you're finding out how all these people died. And so that also kind of colors how you interact with them. Like mm. each one, you sort of, 
Sometimes you're like, oh, this is cool. And then you think, hmm, this person's going to die soon. <laughs> I wonder how that's going to happen. And you kind of, it, it's actually pretty obvious in most of them that, you know, kind of right from the start, oh shit, this mm. is going to go badly for this person. Yeah. And it's capable of presenting mortality in a way that's not just sad. It's often sort of funny or kind yeah. of silly or like, it's very human, I think, because there's a lot of different kind of, even when there's a deeply tragic aspect to what you're doing, there's always a lot of humor or kind of heart to certain moments. Some of them are flat out sad, but some of them are kind of sort of silly or exultant and therefore the, the resulting tragedy is more so or, or yeah, it's, you know, the, it's, yeah, it's got a lot of range. It's got a very weird tone because it, it is very, it's serious enough and, and takes itself seriously enough to, um, to be tragic and uh, extremely sad and, some quite young people die in this game, mm. um, which is uh, pretty upsetting. And then sometimes it's, yeah, it's a little bit slapstick that someone's going to die. And there was, there was actually one that didn't quite work for me that kind of, uh, uh, yeah, didn't hit home. Um, and was a little bit annoying to play because you know the person's going to die and you can see how they're going to die. And the only reason that you actually end up dying is the game doesn't let you do anything else. Like you kind of... There's a, there's an obvious way to avoid the death and you just can't do it because you know, yeah yeah it's going to die and it's kind of it's a combination of like oh I don't it, it, invisible walls were stopping me from from avoiding the death and that was annoying I could see the death coming uh, and also it was kind of a funny death and it felt like someone's telling you a joke that you've already got and you're not finding it that funny and they force you to kind of play along until mm. they get to the punchline and that was the only one that didn't work for me. I think I've always been interested in people saying that they found it sad because I never got that. It <laughs> felt a lot like, you know, those sort of early 20th century novels where everyone sort of basically has emotions at arm's length, you know, mm. very sort of 20s kind of, oh, well, darling, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Terribly sorry, Sebastian, you've fallen in front of a train. <laughs> but yeah, 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 basically. And I, it, it never felt to me like it was mawkish like mm. some of them felt deliberately almost gothic or something but mm. they it it wasn't it, it didn't feel sentimental particularly or not in a way that was that ever affected me like yeah. some some of them felt like they were designed in a very particular way but you know i never sort of thought oh you know that's really sad it was always just like that was interesting or mm. that was weird or that was cool <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting because some of the deaths are sort of just silly deaths. They're just like, it's kind of bizarre and, and comic that someone would die that way. Um, and then even though, in some ways, like the first one you play as, I don't want to spoil anything, um, uh, but the very first one um, uh, is one of the most exotic and diverse things you play. And it's very like, just all over the place and, and wild and fun to play. Um but you're seeing it through the, the victim's eyes and what's really happening is really just grim and tragic and nasty. Mm. But you don't feel that because you're kind of in her world and uh, she's kind of having fun for most of it. She's having like a crazy um, experience, but a, a very exciting and wild one. Mm. Yeah, this is sort of like sort of... I don't know what the best way to describe it. It's kind of like a kind of Wes Anderson... Mm. kind of tonal yeah, neutrality thinking. like it's almost like, like the tenenbaums yeah it's like mm. in that um or like that sort of that sort of ability to you know in, in a West Anderson movie to shoot something at a distance so that you sort of see everything looks like toys everything looks like sort of models <laughs> teetering across you know the people look like they're not real well also it has that fantastical setting you know the, yeah. the actual house itself mm. is you know it's it's a kind of it's a dream house right yeah and 
so it 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 makes sense with regards to the story but mm. it it's clearly not a real place it's clearly not a real house it's it you know it is a an odd anthology right yeah yeah and it sort of shadows that line between and the books are all wrong the books are all wrong if you look at the shelves and things you just see the same book over and over. you know it's it's things like that like that's the one thing that well there are a couple of things but that thing it always pulls me out of stuff is if someone's used you know stock books that you find repeating it's like why does this person own five thousand <laughs> copies of alice in wonderland that's weird mm. <laughs> like you know that's the weirdness that i'm gonna draw a line at apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was genuinely like a real surprise a treat a treat mm. a treat a highly lethal quite sad treat and that whole again uh, I won't spoil anything but the whole fish cannery sequence was amazing yeah mm. yeah certainly the fish cannery sequence of the year <laughs> amongst them yeah uh, you know way up there like only really competing with I guess Total Warhammer 2 <laughs> in terms of the best canneries um, big old tick for what remains of Edith Finch let's talk about Prey yeah Next on the list. Prey was good, wasn't it? Do you remember when we recorded Real. a two hour, two and a half hour podcast about how we felt about Prey? Yep. One of only two times we've done that? Yep. Well, that's the thing we roll out for Arcane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's probably not a coincidence because their games are just, um, uh, well, they're, they're right up my alley mechanically and then also. Um, and they're right up my alley. Literally, <laughs> no, no, no. if you like. Yeah. Um, they're also just really rich and, um, uh, beautifully fleshed out and loads mm. of different spectrums, including narrative and, and world and everything. And I think for me, Prey, um, is at the first like 10 to 15 hours, which is a long time. Uh, I was just completely 100% enraptured with it. Just absolutely loved it. Um, uh, I was immersed and I had problems later on, but the thing that kind of sticks with me now about it is, um, uh, even amongst immersive sims, which is like my favorite genre, um, and uh, all the, the brilliant games made in that, this is still maybe the best uh, completely realized world where just mm. everywhere you can go and pray is somewhere your character will be able to go. And it makes sense that this is the totality of the space. It's all fleshed out. It's all there. You can find every person who is on this crew. Uh, it just feels like the uh, high point of... Um, kind of authentic worlds, like worlds mm. where someone's really thought it through and all of it makes sense and everything that should be there is there and uh, it's all open to you as a player. You can go anywhere, you can find anyone, you can um, probably read about their lives and how they died. Um, and yeah, so like just on a, on a, to put specifics on it, uh, every crew member is listed in the computer database and not only are they listed there, but you can then click on them and... Uh, be given their tracker signal so that you can then go and find their actual body on the ship, which is crazy because there are like 300 of them or something. Yeah, yeah. I think if, so I'm thinking about this after the fact, so I haven't gone back to Prey, which I thought I would after we all finished it. And yeah, I keep meaning to and I haven't. Um, but I think, I think the reason I haven't is because uh, that first playthrough, while I enjoyed it, also exposed some of its mechanical deficiencies. This is the reason it, like, it feels like the kind of game that is within striking distance of really clear game of the year yeah. if it didn't have some of the problems that it has. And those problems include, like, the, uh, I'm I was about to call it the nemesis, the nightmare. <laughs> the um, the monster that hunts you uh, during the second half of the game, as we discussed in the spoiler pod, it's a brilliant idea to kind of, like, once you've created that wonderful, internally consistent space environment, having a monster that can also intelligently patrol it in pursuit of you is a great idea like 
Alien Isolation is a brilliant game purely based on the basis of that mechanic, combining that with a kind of immersive sim-style fully simulated space, is potentially amazing, but that system doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. The monster is not very well conceived. It's too big, yeah. for one thing. You can just wait it out, and you're sort of encouraged to do that in some ways, which was really dull to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I'm just going to sit here for five minutes. The cupboard, the cupboard alert has gone off. Get to a <laughs> cupboard. Um, and so with those things in mind, and also with the fact that... Um, Obviously, we're not going to transport any of these games on this podcast because this is an opportunity for people to go back over the break and play things they missed. But I, there are things about the way play, 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 prey wraps up its plot that made, that discouraged me from replaying it. Yeah. And I think that was an actual, like, it's a, it's a clever story, uh, in some ways. Um, but actually, because the game sort of sits at this midpoint between System Shock and Bioshock, um, between, a sort of exploration game and a pure, uh, and a, a horror game and all these other things. And actually, I would love the version of that with a much less character led plot where you're just a sort of random nobody on the space station kind of picking your way through it, experiencing the story from lots of different angles where it didn't concern itself with having a, uh, tie a bow on it resolution in the same way because I did find that it sort of undermanned itself right towards the end. Yeah. And those are the memories that I've taken away from it, strangely, <laughs> despite the many hours I spent with it, enjoying it and in, like in discovering it for the first time, I think is great. But I feel like, strangely, because I think whoever was writing it and working on it and kind of putting it together had the ambition that, of, that they could land this thing, right? Like they could not only give you this, uh, experience of sort of complete freedom within this space, but that they could pull all those threads back together again for an ending that had meaning weirdly almost ties it off too neatly and makes it less appealing to go back and play it a different way or or try a different thing yeah definitely has it had any dlc since no do you think that would help again not really because of the way it ends and i don't want to say the way it ends but like it's it's like it's literally there's a there's a certain amount of like oh well okay to to the way it ends that means that i don't feel compelled to Whereas, for example, with Death of the Outsider for Dishonored, simply the addition of new powers is enough reason to go back and tinker in that in that space. I think but also because Prey is primarily like a survival you versus the monsters experience, new powers don't mean quite as much because there's not a huge variety of situations. The variety of situations yeah. tends to be like, oh, there are monsters, there are a certain amount of sentry guns. You can get new powers and new gadgets, but it's not like a new city district in Dishonored that works in a specific way where you can break it open in a particular way because, you know, in Prey, there's no real distinction between, like, lethal, non-lethal play styles or, or that kind of thing because, of course, you're going to blat the little ghost spider creatures because... Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Honestly. It's ethically fine. <laughs> it's ethically fine to... You can always beat a shadow spider with a be- wrench. That's always yeah. fine. Uh, I think Kant said that. <laughs> Yeah, I, now that you mention it, I think maybe that's what ended up missing from the... I forgot a game. Sorry. <laughs> from the uh, combat was if it had some versus human stuff. Um, mm. That would have added a lot. There isn't... I mean, obviously it needs to be justified by the narrative and stuff, and it, it isn't in the current context. Um, I, still, I think I probably will still replay it, because I went pretty heavily on the alien stuff first time through, and I'd be interested to see what it's like if you go mm. pure security. Um, and yeah, for most of the game, it's, it's so much like System Shock 2, and that's one of my favorite games, uh, ever. And it's been followed up by things like Bioshock, but not really in the same way. And I remember thinking actually about Bioshock because, um, much as I loved it, uh, that 
the thing I really miss from System Shock 2 is that sense of like, I'm on a spaceship and I can get to all of the spaceship and it's all just here. And so, um, just that, that, uh, kind of verisimilitude between, um, the actual game space and the space it's supposed to be representing. The space was, space, yeah. Yeah, the space space. The space <laughs> and the space space uh, were very close to each other. <laughs> mm. And Prey absolutely just finishes that sentence. It's like, okay, yeah, that System Shock 2 was hinting at this, and now we're just going to do it. Here is the whole spaceship. Yeah, um, it, it used prime coherence between space and space space. <laughs> yep. And then in conclusion is why it's good. And also, yeah, I think maybe the... Uh, the narrative side of things... Um, like that won't stop me replaying it. I don't think ultimately um, it it reduced my desire to, but only because I was so uh, the narrative side of things promised so much at first. Like the opening is so good, mm. and it has mm. like this fantastic intro that has a reveal and um, just completely grips you and makes you and, and sets up a brilliant mystery. You're just like, what the hell is going on here? Um, and I think it actually does make good on that sort of, you know, during the game. Mm. And then at the end also just does something else, which is <laughs> um, a step too far, I think. Well, I think, I think it works. I think it works as a story. I think it's just the strange to a game like that doesn't need uh, such a neat resolution because it's messy. Like the your progress yeah. through it is messy. So the resolution doesn't need to close everything off because I don't think as a player, you're going with the expectation that your, your, all of your actions are going to be fully accounted for and doing that is necessarily reductive. It's like almost like it's a clever solution to something that wasn't actually a problem. Mm. I don't know. I, I had a different like turning point in the game where the, the combat got harder and just more messy. I think my, my ultimate problem with the combat was just that I was unable to do it with any finesse. It was mm. always just like, oh, I just about got through that and I got hit a bunch of times and I just, I did it as best I can. I don't know how I could have done it better. I don't know what the good version of this looks like. Um, and that's, uh, it kind of suits like a survival horror thing, but it didn't with it, with the this length of game and uh, all the abilities that you're you're sort of getting excited about. Uh, I sort of I think I wanted like a, a degree of mastery or elegance to actually uh, fighting these things. I never got that. But one thing it did do was that because um, of just the way the balance of my game ended up going, I had this huge resource glut for most of the game, and then about two thirds of the way through, the difficulty just kind of hit some kind of tipping point where I was consuming medkits faster than I was finding them. Um, and so for the last third, I just burnt through this stockpile. I had like 72 hypos mm. and 48 medkits or something. Like ridiculous stockpile where usually when you're getting that, you're thinking, obviously I'm never going to use all of these because, uh, you know, the fact that I've got so many is telling me the game is easier than I need it to be. And actually this is one of the few games where I did use them all. <laughs> I just burnt through like all 48 medkits and all 72 outside hypos for the last uh, chunk of the game because uh, suddenly things were getting harder. And also um, I did some stuff like... Uh, I re- talked about on the podcast at the time but um uh, there's a mission with a time limit and it's an extremely generous time limit <laughs> one of the most generous time <laughs> limits in gaming yeah and i still just sprinted the whole thing and went nuts uh, just doing it as fast as i can just because i was uh i was kind of role-playing i was like in the fiction i mm. want to i would be unsure about how long this is going to take me i'm going to just belt it and i did and that burnt a load of resources and i just uh, that actually felt really good that was a moment when like yeah, yeah. all those systems um i felt like i was using them to their uh to their maximum extent to get the thing done that i wanted to do yeah i really like what they wanted to do with that sequence but i i also sympathize with the designer whose job it was to figure out what the optimal time limit for that is but it doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel unfair but it also doesn't feel like no time. it is literally like the death star will be in firing range in four and a half hours <laughs> like yeah 
Yeah, I think that's good because um, time limits will always make the player feel a bit pressured, even mm. when it's really generous. Um, mm. Technically, the intro, the tutorial in Heat Signature has a time limit, but it's like 500 seconds. Mm. <laughs> it's like a 10-second job. <laughs> so it's like, feel pressured, but also there's no way you're going to fuck this up. You say that. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear if anyone's fucked up the Heat Signature tutorial because of time reasons. I want to hear about it. <laughs> So that's Prey, but I'd like to bounce off Prey directly into a different, uh, well-realized space station from the year 2017. Mm. Pip. Is it Tacoma? It is Tacoma. Yay! Tacoma. Yes. And that's moving it, on. And moving on. <laughs> no, it's, sorry, it's just because I've written about it so many times this year, because yeah, it's yeah. really good. Um, or not Tacoma. <laughs> I really loved it um and i loved it because of the spaces and the people like the story itself was i felt very much like you take it or leave it kind mm. of thing it's a um it's fairly by the numbers sci-fi i would say but the way that it describes its people through um through objects and through like interactions and stuff like that it's it's just really charming and Mm. human and lovely and you sort of get the answers to questions you know in other people's rooms if you see what i mean like Mm. to to take one example there's you you go into someone's room fairly early on and you see that they have an orchid you know if you're digging around then it's like oh that's you know that's quite nice but i think there's a message that accompanies it that implies that it's from another member of crew but then later on you find the email that went out to all of the crew saying hey i've got some spare orchids from the botanist guy and it's like and that person was the only person who took him up on the offer and it's Mm. like oh that's quite you know and it sort of delineates Mm. a particular relationship that they had both personal and professional and it's you know like there's so many little touches like that that layer up into what feel so much closer to actual humans than games yeah. usually manage and you I remember know. I read um somebody had like a self help book on there. I can't remember on their desk on their that. thing and I read some of the things it's, it's telling him to say and later on you read an email from him yeah. where he's used one of those phrases. It, it's kinda of, essentially it's like how to bounce <laughs> for beginners or like for, you know, if you're sort of socially anxious, like here's how you can and like he sort of puts one of those phrases in to like, I think it's Mon Capitan or something. And it's like, you know, you see him use it like later on and it's just all of those touches of like, Oh, okay. That's really cool. And the objects kind of tell stories and yeah, I just, I I really love that side of it. And it's like sort of where Edith Finch is weakest, Tacoma is strongest. Mm. So I kind of like having them as a, Almost like a um, counterpoint to each other. Yeah, I think also Tacoma sits nicely alongside Prey. I appreciate having played Prey. Um, but it has, like, Prey tries to do a lot of the similar kind of, like, you slowly uncover the connections between people through emails that they've sent each other pre- predominantly. Mm. And a tiny bit of environmental storytelling. But Tacoma is solely that. Well, the entirety of Tacoma is unpicking people's relationships through... So it's the point, I think, of Tacoma. You know? Yes, indeed. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's, a, it's, it's icing on Prey. Yeah. Because you're also fighting uh, a cosmic, unfathomable spider. And pray, and Tacoma doesn't make you do that, right? Like, and, and Tacoma kind of makes the case that, like, I, I played it after Prey, obviously, because it came out after Prey, but that, um, almost, I almost wanted to go back to 
pretty with that eye of like, wouldn't it be interesting to just unpick all of these relationships and piece all this together without the threat of the unfathomable cosmic spider? Mm. Uh, the, the <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, and Tacoma, like, I really like, just a sort of well-observed, really nicely kind of designed character pieces, right? Like, each of those scenes is really lovely. And the people as well. Well-staged, well. like, the characters are conceived yeah. They, their silhouettes are real human silhouettes, right? Mm, and they, yeah, yeah. you know, it feels like these are actual sort of bodies, you know? It did, it did successfully for me capture the, um, uh, one of the cool things about uh, an immersive theatre thing like uh, yeah. Sleep No More, where because you're following these people um, as holograms walking around the space and you can scrub back and forth through these recordings, um, quite often and more and more as you go through it, uh, you see a conversation between multiple people and then you'll follow some of them often to their own little private conversation uh, and then you'll rewind and go back and see where the other people from that conversation went and then sometimes it's kind of the other way around where you follow people individually mm-hmm. or in fact you're watching conversation and and at the end of it people just go their own ways and don't do anything but then you notice well those pe- people came from that room what were yeah. they doing before this conversation let's go over and, and look at that and there is something kind it does add something to the discovery process and the, the storytelling process to have that context when you then hear that conversation, knowing that, oh, and then at the end of that, that's why when they went into that room, they were talking about this angle. Or- yeah. yeah. Yeah, genuinely, like, I felt a lot that immersive theatre can teach games things about how to sort of stage action, but actually Tacoma is one of the games that takes it the other way, and it's like, this is something games can do with concepts that are familiar to immersive theatre, like having the audience explore a space where multiple scenes are happening and kind of flowing into each other, where games can offer this additional element where the player has perfect freedom to kind of perfectly experience every aspect of it and piece it together in time. That's there's, really there's cool. There's definitely like a forensic element to yeah, yeah. the game and that's like the meat of the game, which is I think why if that's not how you like to play or if you're not in the right space to sort of bring enough of yourself to it, like because it does require effort on your part. It's not just I will respond to the systems you give me. It's mm. I need to make those connections or luxuriate in them or pick up all of these objects and see which ones resonate for whatever reason mm. but um and i think some people really that's not how they play and that's fine but it's i can see why their experience of tacoma would be of something that's ultimately like a bit of a basic story but it's because the story is kind of just the 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 bone structure on which the other stuff hangs and it's the other stuff that that is like the flesh and the blood and the mm. yeah it's interesting how it compares to gone home in that respect because the uh feels like the character stuff is pretty similar and um does uh capture the same thing that i liked about gone home um and then it's not that gone home had a plot that i enjoyed more it's that Gone Home almost didn't have a plot. It was like, it sort of hinted at a plot and then, yeah, ultimately kind of doesn't have one. Um, I, staying away even from spoiling the end of Gone Home. But it has a main storyline, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it's, I guess, um, I'm talking about like the sort of, what Tacoma has that Gone Home doesn't is a thing I didn't really want or need, which is this big stakes plot, this kind of mm. like a yes. grand scale plot. And that part of it didn't work as well for me. Um, and I also didn't really need it to be there. It could have just... I think something 
for me was that so the, the way that I differentiate the two games is that Gone Home is more like looking through someone's scrapbook or like a box of memories, right? Mm. Whereas Tacoma is more like interactive theatre. So it's yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. But there are always there are always issues with stakes in interactive theatre where you can't convince people. You know what I mean? Like this, at a certain point, where it becomes unconvincing if things become too real. Whereas yeah. the, kind of the more kind of not actually if they become too unreal. Whereas if the more kind of just sort of personality led and kind of simple it is, the more effective it is. Which is something Gone Home did well, I think. Yeah. But to be fair, I think I'm the sort of person that would be fine just exploring those sp- spaces without the additional sort of and mm. what happened to everyone yeah. layer, yeah, which is the s- similar question to your answering in Gone Home, but I wonder, just in a different method. If you did something set aboard a space station where it was just all about personal drama and there was no grander plot, I wonder if that would feel weird if people would be like, oh, why didn't it explode? <laughs> why did? Why wasn't there a space emergency? Where was the cosmic spider? That would be interesting because essentially that's just like a load of space <laughs> soap operas, right? Yeah. Because some, some shows are that. And they maybe have Monster of the Week stuff, but you know, like... Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Where is the man? Where is the cosmic spider? Where is the hoarder of wealth? Uh, they're in uh, Hellblade. That's that's the closest thing to a segue as I will do. And if anyone gets that segue, then fucking I don't know. Um, Tom is shaking his head. <laughs> so uh, I wanted actually to bounce off from the immersive theatre point uh, from Tacoma to Hellblade because uh, I talked about this by myself last week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <It's not> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, like chunks of nut in this one. <laughs> <laughs> they're, it's so, they're delicious, Pip. <laughs> Sorry. I love praline. They're so good. They're like the best chocolate, I would say. Is it though praline? Because I'd heard a lot of people say that and I thought they were being posh. And then I watched the Great British Bake Off and they had a whole section on praline and they all said it praline. I, I, think, I honestly think you can say either, but I given that I don't like it, I'm not the person to ask, I would say. (laughs) But yes, enjoy your... (sighs) Segways nicely under Hellblade. (laughs) It does. So um, Hellblade is a... um, I I came to it very late because I came to it last week when I was by myself uh, alone on the podcast. And it is, it's a suitable subject matter for that because it is a kind of uh, elegiac Saxon poem rendered as a kind of violent... Uh, action game, immersive action game about psychosis. I was in a cafe recently and the, um, staff were talking about, uh, video games and I could tell that from, uh, overhearing snippets and they're like, no, no, the Viking one. No, no, like the Viking psychosis one. <laughs> <laughs> and I gather they were talking about Hellblade. Yeah. Uh, I so whether they first went to For Honor then. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, Viking psychosis game, Hellblade. Um, I obviously I talked about it last week by myself, so I don't want to overdo it now, but I did want to kind of highlight it specifically because I think it has a place among the year's best kind of immersive storytelling games, uh, alongside Tacoma and Edith Finch for me. Like it's, it's in that territory. Uh, what I talked about last week was that I think it, it manages to wrap that stuff up in its combat system in a great way hmm. that proves that a challenge system or a kind of traditional gamey kind of thing can have a place in those kinds of stories if sufficiently intelligently incorporated into the narrative. Um, that a battle system can be used to represent someone's internal battles as well as their external battles and have that kind of meaningfully flow into each other while also being kind of uh, cathartic. I think the fun is not the right word because it's very threatening, but like 
uh, have a kind of emotional payoff as a combat system that winning means something. Does it work? Like, yeah. as in, because I've spoken to them about it and I've kept an eye on it, but obviously without having played it, it's hard to judge whether it has this is a metaphor in capital letters like written all the way through what it does so i think i think there's a lot of things to present uh, sort of uh, presentationally about it that make it do means it does work okay. so like there's That's something good. so um the two sides of it and i'm maybe slightly repeating myself but like one is that um your opponents are sort of both inhuman but sort of threateningly human and i mean that in the sense that they're very big Mm. I say that as a five foot five. <laughs> um, like basically when you attack these people, like, so the combat is always presented in, uh, in a way where it's sort of explicitly part of senuous psychosis, but, um, it's, it's never like, it doesn't feel arbitrary. You walk into an environment and things about your perception of the environment will start to shift in a certain way that let you know that combat is probably about to happen. And then figures will start to walk out of the shadows towards her. Uh, mm. they're always bigger than her. They're always much, much taller than you are physically and given that your your perspective is locked to her shoulder you have that real sense of like uh overwhelming threat uh, like oppression that you're being hemmed in by people who kind of approach you in a circle and they're always wearing masks like inhuman masks but or otherwise like you know it's just sort of like loincloths and kind of like tattooed chests and it's sort of it's very physical but also very inhuman if that makes sense and then um but the real sense of sort of stress comes from the voices that you hear in your, in your headphones, um, sort of all around you and the way, um, and those voices are the things that respond to how well or badly you do with the combat system. And what's, um, really Get good. Well, yeah, but what's great about it is it builds off. Cause I like, I love those kinds of combat systems. I like, cause it's counter based kind of, it could be, it's, does Dale may cry and Bayonetta and even the Arkham games in the way it works in its vocabulary. Um, but that stuff is all wordless and, uh, well, sorry, it's, it's sorry. It's well, it's well, the it's, studio that rebooted you, Devil May Cry. Exactly. Yeah. And made Heavenly Sword. And, and so the, the, it's, so it's, it's not wordless obviously because there's constant speaking. It's, it's UI-less, which is the, 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 well, I guess what I mean, right? Like there's no kind of combo indicator or anything like that. Um, but the premise going in is that you're playing somebody who is an accomplished fighter, uh, but is struggling to hold on to that information. So some of those whispers will be about, remember, remember all those years you spent training, right? That kind of thing. And if you start to fuck up, if you're really struggling with the fight, um, the voices start to sort of trend into a like, and it was all for nothing <laughs> kind of direction. And it's part of the experience. Like it's okay to fail. It's okay to kind of muck your way through a fight and take a lot of hits. Um, it plays with its fail states in really interesting ways. But it's also, if you do well, like if you have one of those things, like I said this last week, but like if you are on it and if you are kind of nailing your counters and your dodges and your attacks, then you as the player are kind of occupying a state of clarity and clear thinking that is the things that the character in the game who is suffering from psychosis is aspiring to, right? The ability just to think straight. And so the combat system becomes a way of simulating what it's like to struggle to think straight because you're surrounded by distractions and your goal is to just enter the right inputs at the right time. Mm. And so that means when things start to go well and the voices pick up and they have more confidence because they are the voices in Senua's head explicitly like, you know, and they start to say like, she can do it. You know, she, 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 she's remembering she can do this. Then it actually feels amazing. Like not in the way that getting that kind of big score in Devil May Cry feels great, but in a way that it's like, 
and helping her, weirdly. Like, I, the player, by doing this combat right, rather than having it be a complete trial, have somehow helped. It's really successful, I think. And, and actually, like, I only played it last week, but, like, has really, like, shot up to the top of my list of games of this year uh, for that reason. Um, like, yeah, really loved it. And there's... um and yeah, it's so kind of creative with how it incorporates both Celtic and, and Viking and, and, and Norse myth into its kind of world building. Uh, because you're explicitly not a Viking, you're a Celt walking into Viking hell. So you're, you're an outsider in someone else's mythology hmm. and it's alien and strange to you and, and kind of uh, threatening. And it's hor- like, hor- it is a horror game, right? It's not a pleasant experience. But it's also kind of so it's so uh, mature in its presentation and actually the use of things like voices and sort of implied body horror without being ever confronted with explicit gore really do remind me of immersive theater in some really interesting ways. Um, mm. Yeah, it's great. Hellblade is really, really good and actually a contender, genuinely a contender for my game of the year, I think. Mm. Uh, so obviously it's a depressing spring off Tacoma, but like <laughs> in terms of. I mean, my experience of immersive theatre is it's predominantly whispering and stamping. <laughs> so um, it really does nail both of those aspects of this part of the medium. Hmm. Uh, cool. Let's bounce off Hellblade all the way to Slime Rancher. I wanted to do the biggest 180 we can do. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, Slime Rancher has been one of your games of the year, Pip. Yeah, I keep going back to it. Um, it's The thing is, I've sort of, I think I've... Um, achieved everything that I can realistically do. Like I haven't 100 percented it, but I rarely do with games. But I've, you know, I've got a fully functioning, ridiculously huge ranch, and you know, so I'm only really going back to it at the moment because there's like a Christmas event on, so I'm mm. collecting little slime-themed baubles to stick on a tree in the entrance <laughs> to my to my ranch. Um, but it's like, it's just so joyful and lovely. It's like if you were farming Loco Roco, you know, <laughs> like you just make these little pens and you fill them up with, you know, these little joyful, ridiculous, bouncy balls that just want to tit about really. And it's, it's just great. What do you feed a slime? So you feed them particular fruits and vegetables and meats and things. So are they real world fruits, vegetables and meats? So they'll have <laughs> some. Some are. So you'll have um, different types of chicken and things that you mm. can breed, and the ones that eat meat can eat those. Obviously, and do you see it inside them because they're translucent? No, <laughs> no, you don't. Um, it's going to be game of the year material. I don't just see the chicken inside the slime. Um, Tom Francis's suddenly strange <laughs> vor thing. <laughs> but you can also, um, you can create hybrids so you can breed them with one who likes different food. So if you like, if you breed them with one that eats vegetables, for example, then it will happily eat, the, the hybrid one will eat either. Hmm. So you can basically convert them all into, you know, just being happy to eat carrots or whatever. Um, so there's things like carrots, there's like mint mangoes, there's a quantum lemon, you know. <laughs> It's things like that, which is just quite sweet. Um, and the environment's quite lovely and it's very bright and just, just a very happy space, Mm. I would say. So I don't think there's that much more to it, but I think that that has value Mm. for Mm. sure. And it's, yeah, I, I think I've spent some of the most amount of time this year in that game. Mm. It's been one of the games that I've, 
sort of, it's one of the few games, not few. It's, it's one of the games I've seen you kind of reliably return to just for pleasure, basically. Like, yeah. Like, if it's that, obviously, I know how much you enjoy sort of farming and ranching and, and gardening yes. in games, right? Like, from Animal Crossing to Subnautica to, to this. Mm. But it's been interesting to see it kind of fit into that ecosystem because it is its own thing, right? Like, it's not 3D Animal Crossing. It's not mm. slime Subnautica. It is very much its own thing. Yeah. I think it, it, I'm at the point with it where the stuff that they have added since release has been more kind of mid gamey kind of mm. stuff. So I mined it out pretty quickly without meaning to really. Um, and then it's been, you know, the seasonal thing and like a couple of other bits um so i'm kind of at the point with it where my farm is big enough and there's enough upgrades that at this point the only thing that would significantly change it for me is a a degree of automation so there's a pit that you can get like an ash pit that you put resources into to to burn to generate ash that fire slimes live on Mm. um and there's like a patch that i'm using to grow carrots right next to that but I still have to manually suck up the carrots in my little vacuum tube and then spit them out into the thing manually. And so if they added an update that would automate some of that farming, then I could maybe set it up to collect, you know, to collect the poops from those slimes <laughs> that I then... But do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I think the only thing that that is left for me to do, unless they add significantly more content or more you know, zones or missions or whatever is to have a degree of, you know, programming and automation and things. And I'm not sure whether that would just break mm. the game for everybody. So that's why I've sort of... Infinite stepped. plot. Basically, yeah, yeah. Or Factorio or something. Mm. But yeah. Mm. Good. Tick. Mm. So from Slime Rancher, I'd like to take a journey to sassy oranges <laughs> tom yep that was my code for assassin's creed origins uh which has had many names over our time it's it. really only had one um <laughs> there's, there's ass oranges <laughs> there's uh asso there's uh a few others assassin's um, creed origins which is what it's actually called yeah <laughs> although it's become almost universal to, to just use the word oranges instead of origins now yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I always just assume if someone says Ass Creed, they mean the one that has just come out. Yeah. Like it's, it's always the most recent, like Call of Duty. It's like... It's... Um, I've nearly finished it now. I think I'm on the, the, the last mission and I hate it and I'm not going to finish that last mission. But uh, the game... Uh, the sort of game part of the game is almost irrelevant to my enjoyment of it. Like the thing I love mm. in this is just... Uh, it's set in ancient Egypt, if you don't know. And you have a eagle that you are psionically bonded with in some way. It's not explained. (laughs) Um, that you can control. You just press the D-pad up and you are the eagle. And now you're flying over ancient Egypt. And that's fucking amazing. That's way better than anything else they have to offer you in the whole rest of the game. It's just being a bird flying across ancient Egypt. Don't they have that? Like, isn't that their VR offering is Ubisoft? I think that's a different game. Yeah, it is having a, it's actually, um, Oh God, Elijah Woods being an eagle. Oh. <laughs> the game. What? <laughs> this sounds like a dream both of you had. <laughs> I assure you, it might be. <laughs> Sorry, um, you were saying about Ass Orange. Yeah, so it, it's like 
the eagles are actually a, a way of like scouting out campments and tagging enemies and stuff like that. But the genius thing that is really surprising um, that most games, including like you know Far Cry Primal, has an, has an owl in it that you're psychically bonded to. Um, most games that do this impose a range limit. If you send mm. the the thing you're controlling too far away from your real character, they have to stop you because they can't afford to simulate where your character is and also where the thing you're controlling is because a lot of uh, open world technology involves streaming these assets in depending mm. on where you are and you can't be in two places at once because it would be too much technical burden. I don't really know how they got past that except that... They just did it. Yeah, so you can just fly as far as you like as the eagle. I, I think what they do... I mean, uh, it is apparent that they stop your character. You're, like, if you go too far as the eagle... Uh, What's his name? Bayek uh, just stops wherever he is. Um, and I guess they just stop simulating all of the world around him as well and just focus on the eagle, which is uh, an unusual decision. I don't know of any other game that does that. Um, you know, including games where you have like, some kind of free camera mode or photo mode or um, uh, Deus Ex. You have a remote control drone that you can fly around, mm. uh, but you can't go too far with it. I'm very sorry. I'm receiving an Amazon delivery. <laughs> I'll be right back. Should we stop? Keep talking about ass creeds. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, and yeah, this game, they just let you go as far as you like as the eagle, which is the best possible decision because now I don't have to play the game and I can just be the eagle forever. <laughs> Does the eagle have any missions? Uh, no. Uh, the eagle can help you and you can upgrade the eagle, obviously, because it's a video game. Um, How do you upgrade an eagle? Well, she can swoop down and harass people for you. That's um, just eagles. I don't believe that's an upgrade. <laughs> Uh, there, there's a version of the eagle that does not have the ability to do that. Um, so, or li- maybe it has the ability, but not the willingness. Maybe you're upgrading your bond to the eagle. Eagle could already be harassing, but they don't care that much about your plight that they would harass for you. And then the upgrade is like, no, I really need you to harass people for me. Put it down. Um. Stop giving the internet our address. But the <laughs> flying around as an eagle is awesome. That's my point. Uh, you'll be pleased to note that my uh, mum's oil dispensing jugs that she wanted for Christmas have arrived, everybody. <laughs> Is this going to be a spoiler for your mum? Yeah. If my mum... <laughs> mum, if you're managing to watch this before Christmas, I'm sorry I spoiled the Christmas present that you asked for, but also, I didn't know. <laughs> Thank you for watching. My nonsense. Sorry, Tom, you were saying, I didn't mean to interrupt. And I apologise on behalf of the Amazon man as well. <laughs> That's right. He doesn't owe me anything. Uh, what was his game of the year? It was the Amazon man's game of the year. Uh, I didn't ask. Um, <clears throat> it was very I bet quick. it was made by Amazon Game Studios. <laughs> mm. Have they made anything yet? Um, I don't know. Alexa? Mm. Is Alexa a game? Let's get into this. Week. Alexa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. If you ask her, she's like, yes, obviously. Well, I wasn't sure whether we had anything that was Alexa-enabled, so I no. thought just shout and see. <laughs> hey, Siri. Hey, Google. <laughs> we have no devices. Oh, oh, oh no. whoa. Siri's woken up. <laughs> yeah, Siri has woken up. But uh, my, phone's on air- my phone's on airplane. Yeah. My phone is airplane. Hey, Siri, so, what's an airplane? Siri's not available. She can't answer anything. Uh, Neither can been- Google Assistant. I asked Google Assistant, what's the time when it's offline? And it... This language processing understood what's the time. It got it into text form, and then it couldn't answer the question because it's not online. <laughs> what is time? <laughs> you need the internet for that? Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, in anyway. Assassin's Creed Oranges, you uh, can fly as an eagle, which is awesome. I think I covered that now. Um, the landscape is fucking incredible. It just blows my mind. I mentioned it last time I talked about 
this game on the podcast, but it nearly moved me to tears <laughs> at times. Just like <laughs> flying into Alexandria and just seeing the sheer scope and scale of that place and just sort of, um, just really like it, it's a kind of historical, uh, experience. Like you, the thing that's mind blowing is like, Oh my God, they made all this. And also this is probably not a million miles from what it was really like. Like mm. just, um, it feels like a, you know, a history teacher's dream of like, you know, uh, people who are really interested into history are people who are good at imagining what it was like. And they get really excited about these visions of, of the past. And my mom is like this. She'll, uh, when you know, she goes to an old place, she's just, her mind explodes. Or, like imagining these, these, um, the fact that this piece of stone is something that people touched like 2000 years ago and they had lives and they had all this stuff going on. Mm. And it's, I didn't never really feel like that when I'm just looking at some old stone, but <laughs> playing Assassin's Creed Origins, if you actually show me the whole fucking thing, I am yeah. like, Oh my God. I'm really incredible. looking forward to the education mode. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's something that I Baths, developed. Roman okay. baths are good for that. I hate to plug the place mm. we live, but. Mm. Because there's so much stuff in that museum that's just things people dropped into the bath by accident. But also stuff like, I love reading the curses, because people used to drop yeah. in things that they were annoyed about their mate doing, or their yeah, yeah. It's like, that jerk! Yeah, <laughs> like, it is like, yes, it is like... Um, like petty you know, grievances written Lucretius down. Lucretius borrowed my shoes and hasn't given them back. Fuck that guy. <laughs> like, like, before those, Twitter. That person who <laughs> stole my stuff while I was having a bath. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so I haven't played it yet. And I'm, I would like to actually, but my my sole experience of uh, Sassy Oranges has been through well, obviously stories you've told, but also through uh, Kotaku's highlight reel mm. weekly bi weekly video series, um, which predominantly features the most amazing bugs. <laughs> and so I I think of it purely as a game where like a dog doesn't just break. It starts to like fold inside out, (laughs) rotate in infinite non-Euclidean geometries and then slowly sink into the ground. How many like actual real big Ubisoft fuckaroos have you encountered? I haven't had that many. I did have, I had a bizarre experience, which I later was able to make more sense of, which is I was riding through the desert and it started to rain beetles. (laughs) And so like scarab beetles just fell from the sky. And yeah, that's not how that song goes. (laughs) Uh, and then the game. sex metaphor. <laughs> it started raining scarab beetles and then the game just crashed. Just like, closed <laughs> the game. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I've played like, coming from an indie, uh, scene, I, I've played games where like that's used as a horror event. You I know, mean, something scary some... chases you and then it crashes your desktop and that's like a part of the game. Yeah. But I thought, probably not Ubisoft. I don't think that's an intentional thing. Was it one of the plagues of Egypt? Although that's locust. Yeah, so, so I remembered biblical plagues involving raining things that don't usually rain. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> um and it's i i found out later because much much later on i i rode out into um a really high level area that i was not equipped to deal with uh, just because it was an interesting terrain type and i wanted to see it and it was a, kind of a, like a salt desert like really white and as i was riding out there i saw like something flickering in the distance almost like a sort of flame or um uh something moving and I tried to ride towards it and then it kind of vanished and I kept seeing weird things like that like people who would, who would disappear and it turns out the longer you spend in the desert in this game the crazier you get oh, okay. <laughs> you just start seeing things and raining oh. scarabs is one of them it just um, happened to coincide the fact that it crashed crash. was not intentional <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I guess it, that happens rarely enough that it's not as well tested as other parts of the game oh okay that's super cool though that's yeah. interesting mm. Mm. my favourite um, recent 
Assassin's Creed Origins bug that I've seen through the medium of YouTube was um, the player character, Bayek, and another character breaking into an underground ruin that no one's seen. No human has set foot here, Bayek, for hundreds of years, except the game spawned, like, a female, single female villager <laughs> in there <laughs> who was just walking the other way. Like, hello, I'm in here. <laughs> and as as that line, like, no one has set foot here for a hundred years was played, uh, she walked directly into the torch that Bayek was carrying <laughs> and caught fire. <laughs> and went like, ah! <laughs> and fell to the ground screaming and it was just as I say nobody's in it <laughs> <laughs> it was the most yeah. Ubisoft thing that could have happened well I thought you were going to say my favourite of the plagues of Egypt but then you didn't no so. I didn't I don't have a favourite I think they're all good you um, can't name them so uh, okay I will try uh, one was, a, was a plague of pyramids they just dropped from space and they, so, they can't get rid of these fucking things Nile is that a plague? Uh, Rivers of Blood was a plague. Right. No, I was thinking specifically of Rivers of One Direction. Uh, Egypt. <laughs> Charmander, Pikachu. Bulbasaur. Uh, anyway. Harry Styles. I didn't know. <laughs> until I played uh, Sassy Oranges, I didn't know that next to the pyramids is just some smaller, shittier pyramids. <laughs> just some, like badly made small ones. Well, why would you be compelled to build big pyramids? I don't, if not I, to fucking one-up them Yeah, so I, maybe pyramids. the shitty ones came first, yeah. If like if they came after, it's baffling, because it's like, why would you... They've done, they it, tried. They've done it so well. <laughs> and there is, like, there's two great pyramids, right? And and so that's got to be one-upmanship as well. Like, one of them seems to be, I think, slightly taller than the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they're both called the Great Pyramids, right? It's, well, there's the I Great guess, Pyramid at Giza, right? So this and is, is there one of the two? The two that I've seen in, in Sassy Oranges are both in Giza, and they're right okay. next to each other. And then the shitty ones next to <laughs> next door, and you kind of think <laughs> the shitty pyramids <laughs> next door. It's basically like a necropolis, isn't it? So it'll be like a graveyard that's got like some of the ostentatious tombs and some of the not so much. Yeah, right? like the pharaoh and their secretary. Well, no, because the pharaoh would have had the secretary killed and buried with him. <laughs> True, because so, you need the secretary in the afterlife. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, you, so you take your PA, you take your horse. Peter, take my calls. Take your, I'm dead now. You, know, <laughs> you take, you basically take all of your shit with you, except for the person who's inheriting the double crown of Egypt. Mm. Right. I found on a sphinx, and I gotta say, the sphinx has a real like wry smile <laughs> they look she's, really kind of yeah like it's a strange expression it's because she's gonna fuck you up <laughs> no really she will eat you we spent a long time on this game yep uh, let's move on because <laughs> we have so many uh, well, is there anything that we can just do like as a one sentence uh, okay I'm gonna challenge you Pip <laughs> oh no no hang on that's not fair um dead cells one sentence uh, can I rope another game into it? Like Spelunky. <laughs> I, I realised I forgot to put Cave Blazers, which okay. is... Cave Blazers and Dead Cells kind of came hand in hand. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to do a very quick segment on the um, Spelunkies that weren't quite Spelunky <laughs> yeah. of the year, 2017. Mm. So Dead Cells is the one where combat is really satisfying and fun and cool. And Cave Blazers is the one that's a lot more like Spelunky, but has ranged attacks in it uh, as a default thing. Um, and they're both really good. 
Uh, I started out loving cave blazers and only quite liking dead cells, and Graham started out loving dead cells and only quite liking cave blazers. And then as we talked to each other about it, we persuaded each other to like the other one more. So now yeah. I like dead cells more, and he likes cave blazers more. There's <laughs> um, an inverse function of each yeah. other going on. Dead cells is not finished yet. I think I'm right in saying it's still in early access, and they they keep changing it quite dramatically in terms of how combat works. I love it, but um, it's the version I played was quite exploitable. Uh, so it felt awesome. It's got a really nice art style. Um, and it's all about doing uh, forward rolls and then hitting people with weapons and mm. uh, throwing grenades at them. Um, and yeah, it's just very, the feel of that is really well done. Um, the problem I had with it a little bit, I, it wasn't really a problem as I was playing it, but it's, it's what limited my enjoyment of it was that um, throwing grenades, uh, these are enemies that are walking back and forth on platforms. It's basically like a platformer. Um, and they can't really leave those platforms or attack you from those platforms. So if you stand on a higher platform and throw grenades down on them, you can just kill them without fear of retaliation. And so uh, often the best strategy is just like the best grenades. And you just, you can get a combination where you've got two different kinds of grenades on independent cooldowns. So you just melt huge groups of enemies all at once and they can't fight back. And finding ways to do that is fun. Like I enjoyed it. But it does feel like an exploit, and it is an exploit. And um, I think in subsequent patches, they probably tried to address that. So I'm, I'm not going to go back to it until it's actually done, because I want to know, like, what is the final version of this logic? Does it, and did they completely stop that or not? The most fun I had with it was there's an enemy type that this doesn't work against, which is a mech that as soon as it is aggroed, it spits out, like, 15 birds. <laughs> and the birds can fly through walls, and they just seek you no matter where you are you can't ever hide from them um and so the instant it knows you're there you've got 15 birds to deal with and you can deal with those 15 birds but if it still knows you're there it's going to pump out another 15 birds in a minute so it's an kind of an ambush challenge it's like can i take this guy out in like 0.4 seconds because if it takes me 0.5 he's gonna make 15 birds <laughs> and then i gotta deal with 15 birds and him um and so that works really well because even with my both my grenades, I still can't quite do that. So it's a question of like, I got to jump in and do both my grenades and then also like a really powerful attack um, and I probably won't quite manage it. So then I've got to like dash away, deal with the 15 birds <laughs> and then carefully go back and try it again and uh, try and get them down that way. Uh, and I'm hoping that's kind of the direction they're going to go is like enemies that can fight back when you're trying to cheese them. Um, and then Cave Blazers uh, is... Extremely like Splunky, uh, the range combat is you can just fire infinite arrows in any direction and it stacks buffs on you the way that Risk of Rain does. So you keep finding loads of small improvements. Like this one makes your arrows fire two arrows instead of one, or this one makes them explode on impact, or this one makes you uh, able to double jump. Uh, and you, you'll in a typical run, you'll find like at least 10 of those that uh, you can choose which ones to equip and stuff like that. Um, and so it's really interestingly different playthroughs. You keep finding new stuff uh, in a, to a much greater extent than you do in Splunky. The only reason, the re- probably the reason I forgot it and the reason I'm not still playing it today is that when you get to a boss after four levels or six levels or whatever it is, um, what boss it is, is random. And they are just radically different in difficulty. Some of them are trivially easy. Some of them are brutally hard. And that at first that didn't seem like a huge problem because I didn't know how to do any of them. And now that I do... It just feels like it's just a dice roll. Like when you play the game, it's just roll a dice. And if you've got a one to three, you've got one of the hard bosses and you just won't get past it. You'll just die for, for that reason. And so er- almost every time I die, it's because I got a bad boss. And if I get an, an easy boss, then I get to the next chapter. But now progress is almost kind of meaningless because it's just, well, I just got lucky. It's just so random. And that, that one decision has kind of have limited my enthusiasm for cave blazers. But it was... Uh, 
it's still a, a really good take on that game. Tom, that was one of the most extraordinary one-sentence summaries of two <laughs> different games I've ever heard. I was going to okay. say, it's really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was absolutely phenomenal, because I was paying attention. Actually, I, don't, I think that was one sentence. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to say this right now. Right, last A couple of years ago, we had the When Did Marsh Draw a Dick Challenge. This year, win a prize from the Creighton Crowbar. You email questions at creightoncrowbar.com with the correct number of words that were in that sentence, <laughs> and I will send you a prize. And was there a full stop? The answer, no. <laughs> but no, you're right, and I have nothing to add, basically. Because <laughs> I feel exactly the same way about Dead Cells as you do, and I haven't played Cave Places. Okay. Um, in that I liked it, but it has some problems. Tick. Is that big enough? That's right. Yes. Okay. Next on the list, let's talk a little bit about one of Tom Senior's picks, but also I think one of your picks, Tom. XCOM, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> yes. That surprising uh, theme twist. <laughs> so, War of the Chosen. War yes. of the Chosen? Um, yeah, that's correct. Okay, good. Uh, a, an expansion that adds a lot to a game that already had a lot. <laughs> like, XCOM 2 was already a game that was uh, massively more complicated than XCOM 1 and layered all these different concerns and stresses on you. And then War of the Chosen just adds more. There's there's no mercy. It doesn't make anything easier or anything less complicated. Uh, it just adds on even more things to worry about and even more things that can... Um, uh, hunt you down but it adds the ability to make posters of your squad and that's what I spent 30% of my time on <laughs> um, you can do that free of charge though yeah yeah you can download the photo creator I mean obviously oh yeah like, yeah yeah it's not helpful. Sorry, I was just going to sniff these and see whether like, <laughs> I could detect any that might not be praline because I'm getting hungry <laughs> oh praline but if you want to go off and like forage for food you can do that <laughs> No, no, it's fine. What you're witnessing is a real-life investigation check. She just rolled an eight. There's gained no new information about the praline box of pralines. Tom, you were saying about um, XCOM 2, War of the Chosen. You can make posters of your of your troops, and that is really cool. Um, I spent a long time on that, and it uh, I increasingly have a lot of time for games the way there's where you produce something by playing. Like, after you finish playing, you have something to look at. Mm. Uh, like, screenshots are obviously in it, and videos are, are an easy way of doing that. But, you know, Opus Magnum lets you make GIFs. This game mm. lets you make posters, and you can... Uh, I found those to be very tweetable. <laughs> there were things that I could uh, show, and the poster off itself is quite funny. You get to add a, a caption to it, which is a thing I greatly enjoy. Um, and you can uh, try and be funny with that. And then also, you, when you're tweeting it, you can add an extra comment to that. And so you have like three opportunities to be funny <laughs> or entertaining or interesting. Um, and of course, XCOM is all about the stories that happen in the tactical mode, like uh, the crazy uh, confluences of events and uh, how this one person got killed or how this person nearly got killed but someone else saved them or uh, how no one got killed and actually this one was really easy for some reason. All of those things I found, uh, the experience of playing was uh, producing these these cool stories. Telling those stories, like writing them as text is pretty laborious and isn't necessarily the most entertaining way for, for people to read. I've done video series on XCOM before and that it's fine, but it's like, 70% me just thinking and talking through what I'm thinking. And if you're sitting there with any different opinions about how I should be playing, you're probably quite annoyed during that. Um, and this feels like the, they finally found the way that you share your stories. It's like end of the mission, you pick 
what just happened in that mission? What was cool about it? What was interesting about it? Yeah, you have to if, make a poster. Do it. Yeah. If, if someone died, you can make a poster memorializing them. If nobody died, you can make a poster just with your whole team looking badass and you can just, uh, I found it. Uh, I'll admit I ran out of ideas eventually, but, uh, for the first 20 to 30 posters, I, for any given mission, I had a couple of lines I could write about like what, what was funny about that or what was cool about that. And so I felt like a great way to just kind of package those XCOM stories and commemorate them and share them. Mm. I'm really looking forward to playing it. So I've been saving it as a Christmas game and it now occurs to me, I'm finally like not more than a platitude. It's actually Christmas <laughs> it's now Christmas. I can play it. Big old tick. Uh, next on the list, I wanted to talk about Torment, Tides of Numenera, which came out this year and is the thing competing with uh, Edith Finch for me for Game of the Year. Hmm. For my game of the year. Um, the reason I would say that. And uh, Divinity. And Divinity as well, actually, yeah. Um, because the quality of the kind of writing and imagination is so high and the, the quality of the sort of conception of the world and how you fit into it and the story it tells is so kind of compelling that it's one of the few games from this year that I know that I have to play again to kind of figure out how I fully feel about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's very rare that like every aspect of a game's writing is completely spot on or is that where that I think about it that way like um I love SF like I love you know a sort of science fiction that makes me kind of think differently about or like helps me puts me in an imaginative state where I'm kind of imagining the world working or, or appearing differently and that uh game manages it consistently with a kind of like a, a quality level that no other game has matched for me this year like as a game like obviously as a as a combat rpg as a traditional crpg divinity absolutely has it beat but as a uh and this is funny because this is it's nice almost nice that divinity's come out this year because this feels like the Baldur's Gate planescape torment <laughs> argument repeating itself yeah where it's like one of them has the philosophical groundwork and one of them has something to say and the other one is like a brilliant more rounded game like Divinity is the one that captures the spirit of what playing Dungeons and Dragons is mostly like, whereas Torment is the one that captures what it would be like to play Dungeons and Dragons with all of your favorite authors, <laughs> and that's a very different thing. And like, I, I don't have much more to add to it than that. Rather than like, it's almost again like Divinity, one of the games almost I accidentally left off the list because I'd forgotten that it came out this year because it just sort of felt like it's already it always existed. Maybe it sounds dumb, but like. It's such a well-crafted story and such a kind of well-realized place and so different and so unlike any other kind of RPG that's been released recently that, yeah, um, I would credit it with um, spurring my excitement to do more pen and paper role-playing, which has been a big positive thing this year. And also, in and of itself, is a really great story full of... Um, surprising and exciting science fiction ideas like its only weakness is that it requires you to do a lot of reading and it, it, it does a lot of telling rather than showing by necessity of its a budget and b perspective and broad design but if you're willing to kind of approach it like a kind of novel that unfolds in front of you with a few visual elements then it's it's fucking boss mate <laughs> that's how i feel about it torment yeah <laughs> tick cool cool let's jump to the lion's song mm. Mm. that's probably mine 
You added it. I did add it, but I don't know if either of you have played it. I have not. Okay. Never even heard of it. So it's an episodic thing that started releasing last year, so I've actually played it across two years. Um, but given that I replayed it this year and it finished coming out this year, it felt appropriate. Um Essentially, it's uh, an episodic point-and-click with a really limited pixely colour palette uh, of, you know, sepia kind of tones. So it actually looks... I think it's the sort of game where you would maybe look at it and decide instantly whether you were going to like it or not without necessarily giving it a chance. And it's actually like a really complicated set of interlinking stories about creative people who have all for one reason or another come across like a a block in what they're doing um i'm not as big of a fan of the fourth and final chapter just because it feels like it puts too neat a bow on a bunch of things like it it kind of serves to gather up the threads and sort of end the series uh in a bunch of ways but like it in the previous three the the simplified presentation has actually sort of been like a really nice tension with the complexity of what it's trying to do even if it doesn't quite manage it and so that's been beautiful and then you sort of hit this final episode where things are a bit more simplified and it's kind of like oh okay well you know where's the 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 part that you get your teeth into i guess um but i know that some other people have really liked it um so yeah and some of the stories particularly in the third episode were really interesting and subtle and well expressed like um there's one that's revolving around uh, a woman who is trying to find a mathematical proof for something and the game's way of presenting some of that stuff is to actually put um you know sort of graph notation like different mathematical notations on the screen and so it sort of it it mirrors and describes some of the areas of the screen in interesting ways and sort of shows who is sort of within a thing and outside of it and you know and it's sort of ultimately about sort of non-binary states and sort of that has repercussions for sort of personal relationships as well as the actual sort of the proof that um they're chasing so yeah like it's it's one of those things that I thought I knew what it was when it started and then it just went in so many interesting directions that, you know, it's, and again, that was a thing where the final episode kind of dropped the ball slightly just because, and I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt in that specifically because it, in a few of the episodes since I replayed it, it, the shortcomings that I thought were the game in on second viewing have felt like the game acknowledging or the the developers rather acknowledging the shortcomings of the characters if you see what i mean like there's there's one that's around an artist and the the artist's kind of power is they they look at people and they can also see these sort of ghost forms that sort of tell you about that person's personality you know like you'll you'll go past someone at a party and there'll be like a little ghost form of her kind of leaning on a on a guy that she's talking to like in a kind of 
um, adoring way. And that will be like the shorthand for this person is, you know, in a, in a sort of fawning relationship in this conversation, I guess. But playing it the second time around, it felt like the game wasn't saying that is a universal truth about that person or like a, an objective truth about that person. That is what this dude is seeing. Uh-huh. So it's it, it like that's where some of the benefits of the doubt creep in for hmm. me in other areas because it's like the game is, I think, doing more interesting things than I gave it credit for the first time around because... Yeah, there are some things that I didn't like about it that on second glance felt more like that the person was a flawed person who was Mm. at the centre of it and through whose eyes you were sort of seeing the world. So, um, So, yeah, it's doing some really interesting things. Not all of them come off, but I really enjoyed it. So, And I think, I don't know if it's still true, but I think the first episode was free, or Mm. at least it was for a little while, so certainly worth picking up and playing it's the simplest of the of the lot but it still sort of sets out the stall of what the thing is doing so it's the lion's the lion's song song mm, yes so <laughs> next on the list is a little game came out today i think oh uh, god yeah uh, a few people played it it's called um Player unknowns. No one knows who he is. His name's Brendan. Um, (laughs) Battlegrounds. Nice. Player unknowns battlegrounds. So I put this on my list um, because it has, and I also reviewed it for Eurogamer, which went up today, I think. But like, not to dwell on it too much, but to reiterate what I said there, I think uh, for all of its kind of year-defining phenomena-hood, which it definitely has. And also for all of the fact that I'm about to sneeze. Mm. Worth considering. An important factor. <laughs> Why are you sneezing off-screen? We're recording audio. Well, I'm I mean, trying to get away from the mic. I'm trying to get away from the microphone as well. Oh, I see. Because, yeah, you see, the, yeah, well, I'm going to yeah. do it again. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'll just study this behavior. Yeah. Okay, sure, go. <laughs> I see. I see what you did Actually, there. The, yeah. the mic's still picking up pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good glad. Mics. So I'll try and I'll try and fix this in post. But unfortunately, because of the fact that we're syncing this to video editing, it's really hard. So you probably just have to watch me sneeze. Oh, boy. You can't digitally recreate your <laughs> normal self sitting at the microphone. Not not on this budget. Mm. <laughs> You'd like to increase our budget. Back on the page. <laughs> Oh, curse those evening sneezes. Something only I apparently suffer from. Sneevening. Sneevening. <laughs> the sneevening. <laughs> if anyone else has inexplicably sneeze at about five o'clock when it gets dark outside, let me know. It feels like a shot. I'd like to find movie. if I was not alone in this. Um, so anyway, Pubga, Plunk Bag, Plunk Bat, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Brendan's Game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it exists and it's good. The reason. That's <laughs> why they pay you those critic bucks. Your gamer must have been so pleased. I know. <laughs> so. Oh, what a mess. I got two things to tell you, you're a gamer. <laughs> so, um, I think, this is my opinion, on balance, it's all right. No. 
The, so you gave it a recommended, right? I gave it a recommended. It's my it's first, it's actually my first game I've reviewed for your game. I've written for your game a bunch, but I've mm. never reviewed for them before. So mm. it's my first time dipping into the realm of medals rather yeah. than pure numbers. That's, they have one better than that, right? Like yeah, essential. essential. Um, and the reason I gave it a recommended, a silver, is because it's, it's interesting to me, this game, because it's, it's, it's been fun, like, meeting and hanging out with sort of friends who don't play a lot of games, but who play this, right? It is at that level of phenomena, right? Like, of all of, to be honest, I mean, we got into this quite deep into this two hour 2017 arama, but it's, this has to surely be one of the most important games of the year, right? Like, this was the year when a game came along and completely kicked Dota and Counter-Strike away from the top of the team charts. Yeah. Something nobody really reasonably thought was possible, let alone thought was possible for a game that cost £25, mm. right? That is extraordinary. Um, it's, it's, it's meant an unprecedented change in Steam's presence in China. It's meant an unprecedented change in the balance of the hardware surveys that Steam produces. Like, PUBG and its kind of influence is kind of like a new gravitational anomaly at the center of all of the data that surrounds the platform we use to measure what's popular on PCs. I wonder what it has done, though, because, like... I'm interested in whether it's just people turning up to play PUBG and then that's it. Do you know oh, what I mean? Sure. Like, as in, obviously, it being there will will benefit things a bit, but I I do wonder whether something that is that sort of snackable and that much mm. of a sort of ongoing thing actually sort of means for for steam like obviously they benefit from the initial sale but i'd be interested in how it feeds out i heard that it's so popular in china that now china is one of steam's biggest countries yeah it wasn't before which is kind of crazy and because dota is a a huge game in china right yeah and particularly because china the chinese government has the power to switch off steam in china (laughs) at any time yeah this popularity like it may well be a tipping point in kind of legislative balance did you just fully get a praline on yourself it's fine it's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> um <laughs> so but as the game itself like phenomena people who are listening in audio that was tom not me I don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone's confused about that <laughs> I, I actually think that's a reasonable clarification yeah <laughs> didn't you hear my voice <laughs> you could have been answering on my behalf <laughs> but like as a as a game it's, it's it's fascinating to me because it is janky and strange and sterile and unforgiving and rather random and but actually i think what it all comes down to for me and the reason i think it is a space on this list is that it is it has replaced Dota for me as the thing that I suggest I do with friends I haven't caught up with for a while who I predominantly know through gaming. So it used to be a couple of years ago during a time where I was really loving, like where my most of my time was spent on Steam really, that hanging out meant playing Dota. And now hanging out means playing Battlegrounds because that's all it really is. And I think this is the key to its success is it is a stage or a platform for friends to hang out with each other. Like it's funny when you will, whether you win or lose, it's both sort of relaxed in that there's a lot of walking across open countryside looking (laughs) for guns, but also high stakes in that if you die, you're out. Mm. Um, but also, um, it's funny to watch people be good at it. It's funny to watch people be bad at it. It's kind of the, the middle point between all those different parts of it is that it's fundamentally about 
it's just a situation. Like all PubGet is, is a situation, a strange situation where you've been parachuted into an island and you need to look for guns and try and murder people before they murder you because if you win, you get chicken. <laughs> but all that amounts to is like people being people. And that is why it's so compelling to watch from a streaming point of view, from a YouTube point of view. It's also why it's so compelling to play with friends. I think Alice described it as the aftermath of a stag do. It something. is, yeah, yeah. Like, well, so I, I think of it a lot, like it has a profoundly sort of withnalian aspect to me. <laughs> like you've gone on holiday by mistake in the worst possible way. <laughs> um, like there is that element of like, why the fuck are we here? Kind mm. of to it that I find very compelling. Um, and yeah, like I'm, um, it's now just hit its 1.0 update and it's getting more polished. It's not by any means a polished game, really, like, and it will continue to grow. But it's, it's interesting to me that the, by far and away, the runaway success of the year is something quite as janky as it is that doesn't have in and of itself a clear sell, but that is popular purely because it acts as a platform for people to interact with each other. Like, it felt like, I said that, I mean, I'm, it's hard because I've literally just wrote this for your game, but like, it feels like what people were waiting for was like paintball on demand. You know what I mean? And Just, Splatoon is not on other consoles than yeah, Nintendo. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like people just wanted like a hangout, really, and that's what it is. It's yeah. it's a chat channel that masquerades as a game where you get murdered. <laughs> I think also there's a certain amount of um I'm just genuinely glad that I'm not getting emails about the latest person trying to cash in on Dota being popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think they email other people with the, here's our latest uh, Battle Royale thing. Whereas it's like, oh, I, I'm on the mobile list and I'm like, hey, mm. peace and quiet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think I made a similar point in the Eurogame thing, but it's like, this is ground zero for Battle Royale games in the way that World of Warcraft was ground zero for MMOs and League of Legends is ground zero for MOBAs. It's like, not to say that it's the first, but it's the most important. Mm. And that's, yeah, it's a super cool thing to witness and it has many things to recommend it. So. I've played it once. Two times actually. <laughs> I played it, uh, only a couple of times and I told my mum the story of, it wasn't it especially remarkable story. It's just like me and Alex Wiltshire hiding in a house and we heard a car go by and we heard the engine stop and we realized they must be stopping at our house and getting out and we were like ready to ambush them. Then we did ambush them and we killed them and it was fine. And, uh, at the end of my story, when mum told me that her knuckles were white from gripping the table in tension with the story, <laughs> I was like, okay, this game is onto something. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I just had one random experience there and just the secondhand account of that has, uh, to be fair, I'm assuming you told it to your mum slightly differently than you just told it, it to us. It wasn't that short. It was like <laughs> twice as long as that. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise your mum just really worries for your online safety. <laughs> Here's a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. Everyone at this table. We've got to get through the rest of the games on this list in 20 minutes. Okay. Interesting. Because we literally have a hard cut off. Mm-hmm. All right. Scanner Sombre. Sombre. That was pretty good. Sombre. It was... Sorry, it's because... I, I used to call it that. Yeah. And I don't know why. I just looked at it wrong. <laughs> it's because Overwatch has ruined words for you. It's an introversion game where you spray colours at a cave. <laughs> and that's the only way you can see the cave. And it's a really cool uh, mechanic. points of light at a cave and they change colour depending on how close you are <laughs> yes. to it. So you get a sense of... El difference. sombre. That's a better description. Spraying colours at the desert sand. <laughs> 
it's just a really cool uh, mechanic for visualizing a space and that uh, it's worth playing. You know, if you look back on this year and things that you should experience, that's one of the things you should experience. Mm. Um, I don't think they did an interesting thing with the actual execution of yeah. the story of it. Hang on, Tom, did you refill this when I wasn't looking? Uh, possibly. Okay. I, I didn't know you weren't looking, but I did refill it. <laughs> But the um, the mechanic itself, I think, is definitely... So something that I really wanted them to do was to release it as a tool that mm. people could use to maybe create their own level. I, I wanted there to be a level creator or something so that people could do things with it, you know, like little surprises or ways to yeah. navigate that would capitalise on the, the sort of the unseen and then the revealed mm. yeah. elements. But, yeah. It has a really cool sequence where uh, you are on a boat... And your laser, your lidar scanning thing, um, uh, it will hit water, but water drifts, and so the uh, the point kind yeah. of blurs and, and smooths around. So you can see the water surface in that way, it's but really you can also cool. see all the dots you've made on the cave ceiling are reflected in the water as well. So that's really cool. Hmm. Hmm. Next, next, <laughs> next on the list is I'm going to talk War- Warhammer Two. That's more of the Warhammer. It's more Warhammer. Cool. Uh, well, <laughs> next. How about that one? Oh. Oh. <laughs> you said we had to be quick. Yeah, but. <laughs> All okay, right. well, what's. Fine. Okay, tell me. Okay, well, obviously, full disclosure, I made a little bit of money because I did some work on the game. Okay. So that's full disclosure. It's full disclosure, everybody. If you bought the collector's edition of the game, there's a little book with it. I wrote that. Anyway. <laughs> that's um, the long version. Yeah, that's the long version. So there's. Um, uh, Yes, I genuinely, I, this is also the year in which I reviewed Endless Space 2, which, um, has many qualities as a 4X game. And I briefly undenied about including it on this list, but I included Total War Warhammer 2 instead of it. Not just because I love the Warhams, nor because I obviously was slightly involved, but because actually this is one of the most successful, um, rebalancing of the arc of a 4X campaign that I have ever played. Um, in giving a kind of narrative um, structure to a 4X, but also a kind of competitive, uh, single competitive objective that every faction shares, this race to complete rituals on time, uh, is a source of consistent entertainment and drama all the way through to the end of the campaign in a way that meant that that first playthrough, 40 hours as it, long as it took me, of Warhammer 2, uh, was genuinely one of my most kind of consistently enjoyable games experiences of the year, which is not to say that it's perfect. It certainly has some problems with AI. Um, it's a lot of the old Total War stuff. And in some ways this feels like I'm going fast for the benefit of time, but it sometimes feels like, um, Total War still has its problems with both battlefield and campaign level AI, but the way around it is to give you, the player, more power and more fun things to do so that you don't notice quite so much. So the example of this I would give is that when you get an ambush mission, um, if you successfully ambush an enemy force, when you deploy, they don't have any choice but to deploy in a long column, like they're marching somewhere, and you can deploy wherever you like. And I was playing as a Skaven, and my favorite way to play the game was just build a lot of warp lightning cannons, which are basically just laser guns, and set them up in a really thick line, and then just annihilate shit. And one of the funniest battles I fought in Total War ever was when I ambushed some Dark Elves and their prince on a dragon was flying at the head of this long column because they had to deploy that way. And the first thing that happened in the mission, as soon as I pressed unpause, was he was just annihilated immediately (laughs) by 16 warp lightning cannons, basically firing in the same direction at the same time. And the rest of them just immediately turned and ran away. (laughs) And there's basically no logic there, but the fantasy of it is kind of perfect to me. Like, it felt perfectly scaven-y and kind of... I got fucking lasers! (laughs) It's like, run! Um... And the game was full of that. And um, so, yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. And I recommend 
Like, I don't know, I don't know partly if almost playing a Skaven helps excuse some of the jank of the game's AI, because Skaven, a lot of their abilities, and I really love the way they're designed, um, create bullshit scenarios for the, like, your ability to just have the ground erupt and rats come out breaks the AI sometimes, because like, they don't know how to handle the fact that they're now surrounded. So it's like, well, you know, it's probably better if we all ran away, I guess. Like, on balance, flee. And um, that stuff feels completely appropriate. And it's a testament to how successful the merging of a fantasy setting with Total War is that you can create those kinds of things. A big dinosaur can fight a giant rat, a big elf on a dragon. Not a big elf, he's a normal-sized elf, but he is on a dragon, can fight a dinosaur. (laughs) Uh, What more do you want? It's good. Anyway, tick. Happy? Yes. Good. Let's talk about a house of manly doors. House of Many Doors, oh. thanks. You've written it the way you want it to be. Um, I really liked it and I just wanted to, like, uh, it didn't... You're a train with legs, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> you travel around in, like, a little trainapede or something. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Um, Velocipede, maybe? Um, but I think the thing that I wanted to flag up was if you are into stuff like um, Sunless Sea um, and... On the skies and whatever else, it's it, it's similar enough and has a similar enough format that you won't feel not at home. But it does do its own thing. Mm. Um, and even though I, I didn't recommend it particularly when I was reviewing it, it stuck in my head in a way that. I want to go back to it over Christmas in that sort of like, it's a cozy winter evening Mm. game, I think, Mm. full of storytelling. And I'm hoping that some of the problems that I encountered when I was playing a sort of just prior to release, just post-release build, um, will hopefully have been ironed out a bit. Like, um, I think some big patches actually, I seem to remember that. Yeah. And I think one of them actually lost my entire sort of like mapping out of the game, which was unfortunate. (laughs) Um, as in, I can see why it was necessary because it was that or the game doesn't get fixed, but it was like, as someone who had poured a lot of time into it pre-release for the review, it meant I lost too much progress to want to go back to it for a while. Um, but I'm thinking over Christmas might be a good time to pick it back up and see where it's at now or sort of how it feels. Now. How many doors did the house have? Uh, several. 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 <laughs> More than seven. But there's like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just such a formidable undertaking for, for a, what is essentially a one person team with collaborators, I think. Like, I think Catherine Unger did the art, who's now working on, um, Cultist Simulator and stuff. Um. So it's, it's very much sort of that orbit, the fail better orbit. And it was a fail better incubator project. But like, I think it, I think it gets overshadowed by Sunless Sea for, for good reason. But I think it's also worth checking out in its own right. So I just wanted to make sure it didn't mm. get lost. Mm. Yeah, guess. a good a good shout. Mm. Cool. Tick. Mm. Next on the list, little game called Destiny 2. I haven't got into it. I got into the beta and I was really excited for the game coming out. And then I just didn't play it. You should it. play it. I think just because I haven't wanted to sit on the sofa and play stuff in that particular way mm. at the moment. Because we used to keep up with each other with, like, Destiny when we were yeah, living yeah. apart and stuff. And it was just a nice thing to do of an evening and chat. It was the it was what PUBG 
now yeah, is it's a hangout game people, right yeah yeah so and i think it still is for a bunch of our friends but because they are now my work colleagues i see them in the daytime so there isn't quite the same need <laughs> to catch up with them and because mm. like we now live in bath together it's like work it's is your destiny same. now <laughs> i know right oh god <laughs> Um, um, and Tom's not playing it, so you know. And obviously, it's been the it's been the centre <laughs> of some controversy because of its limited endgame and things like that. We've talked about it a little bit on the pod before about its struggles, but actually, I remember, I remember, and I, I tried to hold on to this. The, the experience of playing through the campaign for the first time, I was so convinced that like this is my game of the year. <laughs> the thing that we've subsequently said that like this year seems to lack a kind of clear like everyone agrees this is the winner. When I was first playing through Destiny 2's campaign with all the changes that it made, but also all the kind of things it was doing new, um, I was completely convinced that was it. Mm. And so I kind of wanted to hold on to that when I included it in the list, because that first experience of it was f- fucking great. Like, mm. it's such, like, at its fundamentals, it's such a strong shooter. Like, I really don't think, I don't think New Doom is better than this. Like, I think in terms of pure firing a gun at things, feeling nice. It is unsurpassed, and it's remarkable that that exists within an RPG. I think this is a really interesting year for weighing games where you loved a part of it or loved it for X hours or loved it in this Mm. way, but then had some uh, downside to that versus games like Edith Finch is, you know, nearly perfect, uh, quite small, beautifully crafted. and, and, um, And so, like, how that compares to the game that is, you know, more exciting to you for X hours, but then after that goes off the rails or has some big flaw. Yeah, the thing is, Destiny doesn't go off the rails or have a big flaw. What it does, what it is, is a little bit too generous. It doesn't hold enough back. It gives you everything. Like, But I also think that if it's a continuation of the game as was, which it feels like to me, mm. you know, it's it's... It changes a bunch of things and it upgrades things and it does things differently, but it still feels like a continuation of that experience. And I drank very deeply of that experience last year. Mm. And so this year feels like it hasn't captivated me. It'll be interesting to see whether it comes back next year and whether I'm talking about it in almost the same way yeah. that I'm mentioning things like No Man's Sky being like, it feels like a different game this year or it's important this year or It's funny whatever, because it's like... It addresses so many of the complaints that were leveled at the first game, mm. uh, while being fundamentally a kind of familiar thing in a, in a good way, I think, because you don't want to change too much. But I like I think it. I think the things it does is it fails to satisfy people who either very drank very deeply on the first game and, and want something completely different to that, but also it also fails to satisfy people who drank very deeply on the first game and want that again, mm. because it is so much more generous. It requires so much less of a grind from you. And unpicking the psychology of why that has somehow not worked for people is really fascinating. Like, I think in the first game, I ground on, you know, I ground through so many of the areas that they became so familiar. Mm. You know, they were, it felt like home because I knew those places inside out because I'd been through them so many times. Mm. And that sort of small cycles of repetition was actually really cool for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a sort of, almost like that feel that you get from more casual games where you just do the same thing again and again and learn it by heart and mm. it becomes this sort of familiar cozy blanket yeah. that you crawl under and then like but with this it just felt so okay well here's instantly all of the i was like ah yeah it's funny because i was so convinced this was going to be better destiny for you 
for you specifically mm. because all of the systems they did away with was the stuff that you didn't want to engage with the first time around yeah but the thing is i think you're forgetting the fact that by the time i've bloody learned that stuff i want to be able to use it yeah like, that's it's, true you know, you it's, sort of, but it's funny like this is the one <laughs> it's that- like when they update dota i'm like no <laughs> I, although i complained my way through those systems i learned them and now what <laughs> yeah no it's funny because like so i would say that on balance like um it does have a really good single player journey and if you've remained unspoiled on what the arc of that journey is and how it ends i actually it, have then it's worth doing because mm. i was genuinely delighted by the ending like you know and really taken with it as someone who loves that setting and um it's got spectacular art. Like, I, I wrote something for PC Gamer today, and I was going to go up a bit about how I think sometimes the the business, the numbersiness of a game, the business side of it, the microtransactions, whatever it is, the progression system can distract from a lot of the artistry of making games. And Destiny 2 is still an extraordinary showcase for sci-fi concept art writ large as a game. Like, many of its later planets are completely gorgeous, and you kind of buy into the reason they moved away from the planets they did in the first game because it gives them freedom to do so much more interesting mm. things like fantastic space oceans and you know incredible alien sort of uh terraformed alien surfaces and these kinds of things and it, it, it does look amazing and all the guns feel great and mm. i love i just still love the design of it so for me it's still kind of clearly up there despite its flaws and obviously this is the first year i can include destiny in a crate and crowbar and the year roundup <laughs> You know, it finally came out on PC. But I would, yeah, I, I would certainly just, of all of the, of all of the kind of the big shooters, it's still the one that feels like it's got the most going on mm. design wise. Like, it's such a good shooter. Like, they, you know, they really do know how to make it feel like a good time when you're just shooting alien dudes with a gun which is the sort of the base level of achievement for a shooter, but it's remarkable how many <laughs> games don't get it quite right, including things like Wolfenstein, which is no one this list for me. So, so we have seven minutes left. Mm. So is that a good segue for you to go into Battlefront, Star Wars-y Star Wars? I'm going to ignore Battlefront. Okay. I'm going to leave Battlefront off this, even though it's the beginning game that I genuinely enjoyed and played a lot of the last couple of weeks, um, because I still don't know if I would recommend people buy it, because it's such an expensive buy-in. However... Um, I see that game as very talented developers making something really cool, um, but being let down by a business model, mm. basically. Uh, that leaves some space, however, for Opus Magnum. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so now went to express my excitement. <laughs> wow, so, this is <laughs> that's the. That was That's going to get gift, isn't it? It's the it's the Zactronics. Whoop whoop! Everybody. Is that how low the bar is for gifts? Well, I don't know because this is exactly it's how low the bar is. Magnum, like you know, conceit of like gifting your your end product. I guess if there's an easy button to gift it, gift my end product. Oh god! <laughs> Let's not say that sentence again. <laughs> Opus Magnum is a really good game about uh, making machines to produce alchemical things, transformations. Yeah, it's for turning the certain ingredients into certain outcomes and, uh, but doing it through archaic alchemical logic. So stuff that doesn't make any scientific sense. So you have like, you know, you can upgrade a tin atom into a lead atom just through adding salt to it. No, quicksilver, do it. Uh, <laughs> salt is, has some other purpose in this world. I can't remember what it is, but you can certainly turn certain things into salt. Um, 
And the cool thing about this, uh, it is a game from Zektronics who have made many games that involve making programming-like solutions to programming-like problems um, with various themings on those. Uh, this is the one that really clicked with me, uh, whereas the others didn't, because it is simpler than Infinity Factory because it's only 2D. Uh, it didn't feel as overwhelming as Infinity Factory did. I liked Infinity Factory, but I, uh, when I stopped playing it, it was because I was just like, I don't even know how to start this thing. <laughs> um, so it's 2D, so that makes it a little bit simpler and a little bit easier to get an overview of what you've built so far. Um, and how it's working and what's wrong with it. Um, and Space Game is obviously very similar to this because it involves, you know, producing um, chemicals from uh, atoms and elements. Um, but this works better than that for me because it's much more visual. It feel, it's instead of being a sort of diagram representation of what you're doing, it it's, looks like a machine. It, there's these steel arms and pistons and it looks very physical. And that sounds like a small thing, but actually for me that made a big difference. It made it uh, both more appealing i was more pleased with my machine when i did build it and also i think a little bit easier because i could sort of see things happening in a more direct way i could see that piston pushing in that direction and i could see oh that's why it's hitting this thing and uh, it needs to be angled a little bit over to the left in order to avoid that because there's this physical problem i'm trying to solve um and then yeah just just all of those things in sort of unlocked the what is already the appeal of a Zachtronics games for me. You know, I, um, I knew about this, but I had not really experienced it myself so much before that you make a solution and then you see your friends have got one that is way faster than yours. And you're like, how do they do that? They must, uh, now that I know there's a way to do it, not only do I know that there is theoretically a way to make it faster, but I know my friend Kevin did it. <laughs> I feel like foolishly i feel like i can probably do it if kevin can do it then i quickly discovered no kevin being able to do something does not mean i can do it but alex wiltshire doing something does mean i can do it (laughs) (laughs) and that's what i learned about my friends Uh, kevin is smarter than me and me and alex are about equal and (laughs) we all uh beat each other at any given time that um thanks zach (laughs) useful information I have a copy of it because in my sort of enthusiasm and hubris, I decided I will beat Tom Francis <laughs> at this. I don't know why. Maybe it was a drinking night. Who knows? <laughs> um, but it was very much one of those things where the next day, I think so many people from the game dev section of people I follow on Twitter had been posting gifts of amazing, elegant solutions that I was like, and I will never boot up that game <laughs> ever. <laughs> so it was like, it was like this amazing, like tiny journey of enthusiasm, oh. uh, installation, and then just having never booted it up. <laughs> just- That's a shame. Cause I, I feel like it successfully it sort of bridged the gap for me where in previous games I'd just been intimidated by everyone else's performance. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can never do that. And this is the one where it did. I, I felt like, oh, I can experiment with this. I'm willing to tinker with this. I think um, it's one of these things where I, I was thinking I might add it to my list of stuff to play with over Christmas because House of Many Doors is back on there. Akami is on there, definitely. And I was thinking that this might be a good time to try Opus Magnum because, you know, that wave of people talking about it in a way that wasn't how I knew I would play has abated. Like, Mm. I think it's that thing of if you, 
if you can keep up with the wave of people who play it when it first releases, then that's a cool, good experience. And if you can't, it's actually maybe better to wait for a few months. And when that's yeah. gone away, then you get to have the experience that you want with it. There's also a hermit Somehow. mode you can enable where it won't tell you your friend's scores or anyone's scores. <laughs> It'll literally just, you, you're the only person in the world. If Amazing. you've got 17, that's the best you can ever get. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only good score. Bye. <laughs> We what did it. Is, on the, is there nothing else? We did it. <gasps> All the games. We did it. That's the entire list. Nice. Whatever is in the show notes that I'll construct out of this list, out of the games I haven't obscured with a giant tick, <laughs> um, is our games of the year. All that remains is for each of us to individually, for some reason, nominate a single personal pick for game of the year. Pip. You're doing a face. Yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm panicked now. Okay, you can Is look it at like the list. like ordering at a restaurant where we can, like, come back to you and... Yeah, come <laughs> back to me. Come back to me. I know mine. Yeah. It's Prey. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Opus Magnum is a more perfect game. Like, it does what it does more perfectly. But Prey, I, I feel like, because I spent 10 to 15 hours just absolutely enraptured at having a time in my life, you mm. know, having as good a time as I had with you know, the best Deus Ex um, uh, for that time. The fact that the next 10 hours would, did not live up to that shouldn't really... Uh, it doesn't undermine that. It doesn't mean that they, I didn't have fun for those 10 hours. Mm. It doesn't mean I wasn't in love with it for those 10 hours. And so I think I'm, I'm more interested in, like, if there's a game that can give me those 10 to 15 hours, um, uh, that's what matters to me more than you know the the wholeness of the experience or whatever if you made 10 to 15 hours of incredible game that's amazing and you should be uh acknowledged and rewarded for that and yeah it, it's so much more my kind of thing than opus magnum I lo- opus magnum is obviously the best thing that's ever been made in that genre to me um and the first one in that genre that has really clicked with me but um uh it's more important for me to I know I love being in a world and I'm believing in that world and being able to explore it. And when I make mechanical decisions, you know, I'm very much a mechanics focused person and I, I love mechanics, but they also need to mean something in the world and, um, getting to sort of live out that character and decide who I want to be in that world. And then that influencing the, the skills I choose and that influencing the play style I, I go with and that also influencing what I can and can't do in this world and what stories I can and can't explore. That's uh, completely my jam. And this did that beautifully for a huge number of hours. <laughs> Pip? Chris? Okay. <laughs> uh, my personal game of the year is Torment Tides of Numenera. Oh, um, because I, thinking about it a lot, there are things I loved about uh, Edith Finch and there are things that I loved about Hellblade and... Divinity and a bunch of other games that have approached storytelling in a particular way. But I think, um, Torment has a degree of imagination and a, a sort of set of ideas that is core that I find very compelling so much so that I want to return to them. Like, I feel like I kind of get what Hellblade is telling me. I feel like I kind of get what Edith Finch is telling me. I feel like, um, actually, you know, and, and Divinity is, has its own set of objectives that are sort of to the left of making you think, I think, beyond a certain point. It's an adventure. But actually, Torment is the only game this year that I felt like I kind of have to play again in order to reapproach 
some of its ideas from a different angle, which is exactly what the original Torment did. Hmm. And I find that endlessly kind of compelling. And maybe this is sort of reductive in a way, because obviously I don't think it's the most mechanically inventive game of the year. Um, I'm really giving it this on the strength of writing, basically. But I think maybe on balance that's what's important to me, so that's what gets the the big hello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think sure. if a game can, like, uh, the challenge is, like, A, to, to write good in the first place, and then B, to actually make a game that showcases that and makes mm. you want to read that writing, and that's not trivial. Yeah, I think, so I think Torment is interesting, because I think if you if you don't want to read at all, then you're fucked. <laughs> like, if you really don't want to read, then it's not going to go, it's not going to meet you halfway. Yeah. But if you're willing to read, like, a Baldur's Gate amount of reading, or a Pillars of Eternity amount of reading then the rewards for doing so are so much higher than in equivalent games because it is so consistently inventive and it's so consistently unusual. And, um, you know, it's, it's companions have stuck in my head in a way that other games this year haven't in terms of who they are and where they come from and, and what they represent. Like, like I say, um, if divinity is the experience of playing D and D with your friends, then, yeah, I, I'm repeating myself, but like then Torment is the experience of playing D&D with your favorite sci-fi authors and they're all <laughs> fucking firing on all cylinders. And that's, that's a fantasy we're celebrating. So that is my game of the year for 2017. If there was a scandal in Baldur's Gate, they would only be able to call it Baldur's Gate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Pip, uh, you must choose. So I... I, I don't know. <laughs> what but remains of Edith Finch is probably the one that I would say holds up for me and for other people at this point in the year. Mm. Slime Mantra has that weird thing of being a game that I'm looking at having exhausted it entirely like and i remember how excited i was every time i found new slimes every time i found a new world every time you know like it was amazing and it was so happy and the soundtrack still makes me smile it's amazing but like it's also a thing that i'm now looking back on having mined it out totally so mm. the world feels and looks different um so it it's really hard to do this at the end of that process and still feel the same way or still point mm. it out to people in the same way. Um, whereas Edith Finch, I would still happily play again and I think get similar things out of and find new things to be delighted by or that I'd forgotten from, from that first time around. But it drops the ball in ways that Tacoma picks up. So I think it's mm. one of those years where there's actually been a lot of games game pairings if you see what i mean yeah, yeah. and like not wanting to introduce new things into the discussion but gorago which is oh god a, yeah a puzzle game that got released a couple of days ago basically or not a couple of days ago but like a mm. week ago um and it's been in development for ages but that's kind of like this elegant puzzler that forms an amazing counterpoint to um, an Amanita project, which I played as part of the IGF, which is called Chuchel. And it's oh. like really playful and sweet and funny. And so uh, like, and Tacoma and um, Edith Finch were like that for me. And, you know, there's 
uh, slime rancher and, you know, insert sort of incredibly serious shooty game. Ah, like, you know, also it's, it's very much been a year of like wanting to keep that variety Mm. of diet, I guess, and like not having a game that pulls all of it off sufficiently that you can just have one game, if you see what I mean. Like, and that's not trying to not make a decision. It's that I... No, I completely get where you're coming from. Yeah, like, nothing has excelled in enough different directions for me to to want that to particularly be a thing that I pin my colours to. Mm. Edith Finch it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's the thing we all agreed on. (laughs) Right, we should wrap this up. Yep. Um, That's us done for... 2017 in terms mm. of podcasts we will return in early january with the podcast you know and respect <laughs> um <laughs> poirot will be back mid-january because i'm away on yeah his pip is away <gasps> uh, miniatures monthly will be back to correct a previous assertion of mine um probably late december early january and then again in late january as we kind of try and fit timings alongside one another in the next couple of days you will receive uh starting today friday the 22nd and and well as in you, your stockings <laughs> yes um all three or four episodes of the crate and crowbar D special i'm just kind of making a distinction whether or not i'm going to do the final part as two episodes or one um which i hope you enjoy it's a uh very serious. unexpected, very serious, in no ways completely off kilter, um, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons adventure experienced by these two and Tom Senior with me as GM, which hope you got. We're lore experts. Absolutely. 100% respect for the Forgotten Realms, uh, remembering everything about them. Definitely uh, get all those systems done. Oh God, so much so. So much <laughs> engagement with the actual systems in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, in any case, so you got that to look forward to over Christmas. Uh, we'll be back in the new year. Other than that, I don't know what else to Happy holidays. Say. Happy holidays, everybody. Um, we will also, in the new year, maybe readdress how we approach Patreon. I've said this in the last episode, but obviously Patreon have rolled back the changes that yeah. we had to kind of discuss thank God. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, which is, and thank you to everybody who adjusted their pledges and so on to try and work with that. Um, we're going to, even despite these changes, I think, have a discussion about how we want to use Patreon in the new year. But that's for next year. So uh, I've had too many of these. And it's because I need to sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> but it's adorable when you sneeze, Pet. No, let's end it. <laughs> okay. In which case, all that remains is to say that if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at CrateAndCrowbar.com. If you'd like to hang out with our community, you can find the details for our community Discord channel at CrateAndCrowbar.com. You can find us on YouTube at forward slash CrateAndCrowbar or on Patreon at also forward slash CrateAndCrowbar. Thanks and you can follow that. us individually. Oh. And you can follow us individually. <laughs> oh, who's finally going to Sorry. do? Thanks for listening. But, oh. If you'd like to follow us individually on Twitter, you can. Pip is... At Pentadact, which is P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. I'm at C. Thurston, C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. And I'm at Philippa War. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R. That sounds right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And Merry Christmas.